pot of gold. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I just wanted to hop on here before the actual show starts and just check in. It's been a while since I talked to you guys on a solo podcast, and so I just thought it'd be cool to hop on here and say hey, let you know I'm thinking about you, and I hope that you're doing well. I've been doing well. I hope you're doing even better. I've really enjoyed reading your guys' comments and your reviews and everything. Keep them coming. This whole process feels worth it when I know you're listening. As much as it sounds weird, because as a podcast listener, I never really thought about this. Once I make the podcast and put it out there, I don't really know who's listening. As a listener, it almost feels like a, a relationship with the podcaster, like a it's a dialogue. But, you know, you make this thing and then you send it out there and you hope for the best. Then you're in people's ears, but they're not in yours. So it's 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 a weird thing. So if you have a chance, hit up the podcast, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or anything, really. It's all it's all good because it's all advertising for the show and it's all something that's probably going to reach me. And it makes me feel good. So keep them coming. I love it. Also, we'll still do the suggestion box. If you got any suggestions, you want to hear a certain guest, or you'd like to see more topics discussed, or see things less. As always, at Ramble by the River on Instagram, and at Ramble River Pod on Twitter, and Ramble by the River on Facebook. And just put somewhere in the comment, suggestion box, and then I'll know that that's what it's for. And if it's something that's funny or relevant, I'll put it on the show. My guest today is Madeline Moore Dickerson. Madeline is an old friend of mine. We have known each other 27 years. I met her for the first time in kindergarten, believe it or not. And she's been a good friend that entire time. We may not always agree, but when I need her, she's here like she is today. I would read her resume as an intro, but that would take too long. So I will just let the podcast cover that and just get right into it. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, please don't forget to leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever. And spread the word. Share the podcast. If you like it, share it. It really helps. I'm trying to grow this thing so I can keep doing it. Thank you so much. I love you guys. Keep listening. This episode will air on Madeline's birthday. So if you happen to see her today and the show just came out, wish her a happy birthday. All right. I'm done. I'm done. I'll let the show start. Here you go. Without further ado, Madeline Dickerson. <laughs> Pot of gold. I love the idea of, of adult forts. I think it's uh, so adult good. what? Forts. Oh, like, hell yeah. It's so necessary. <laughs> like, no Just, one tells uh, you that as a kid. Adult fun in general. Yeah. Oh, no. The hate that thing. I got to rescale the, the display. Oh, gosh. This is all very... Uh, interesting industry jargon you probably wouldn't understand don't even <laughs> don't worry about it i won't bother my pretty little head about exactly. it okay display it, it actually happens every time totally yeah yeah it's just how it works yeah the joys of technology most of the time though when it's other people with you i'm like okay no it's okay but i like act like i'm calmly fixing whatever the problem <laughs> is but you're really heart I'm, attack? I'm panicking and my brain is frozen <laughs> yeah totally. and I, I have no idea what to do and then when i was doing stuff for as a journalist you like trick yourself and just oh it's fine it's fine it's working even though you know it's actually not working yeah. so then you're like oh my just god try not to panic yeah <laughs> okay i got it i like your little zen plant i try to make it you know <laughs> fresh in here candle plant 
Good old. Mountain Fresh. Mountain Fresh. <laughs> Maybe you can get Rainier to sponsor you. Yeah, who knows? I shout out lots of products just in case. <laughs> Three, two, one. Oh, nope. False start. <laughs> Gotta go on to time, not beats. This isn't a song, Madeline. You better not try to sing. And you better not try to make me sing. Oof. I don't feel like this sing. is a challenge. <laughs> oh, don't make me sing. <laughs> That's a Kristen wig. I heard, you said that you were writing a song for Amelia. So yeah, like, you know, that, what it's a passion that? project. Mm. Her birthday's in a week. And I know it's coming up. It's not very good. Not ready for public consumption. Mm. I, I, you know, so I'm not just, I might just have to spit it to her freestyle. I hope it ends up on the podcast that. at some point. I would like it to. It's not good though. <laughs> it, I actually somehow made it worse. It was all right, and yeah. then I was like, oh, I, I was. This is just a dummy track. Just get the lyrics and the timing and all that. And I'll, and I'll record it better with better lyrics later. I mean, better vocals later. Oh, you're recording it. Oh, hell that yeah. That makes a lot of sense because you Look have like an place. entire studio. I'm recording that shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the stuff. It's going to happen that Sweet. way. But it didn't sound better. It sounded much, much worse. Mm. I don't know how keys work. <laughs> so I was like, oh, key. What key to put it in? So most of that is uh, me Googling, what, what's a good key for a rap song? <laughs> and most of them say just put it in a minor key and then yeah. just spit. You know, if you just spit hot fire on a minor <laughs> key, it should sound good. Yeah, sure. But it didn't. <laughs> it sounded like shit. So I doubled the, the vocal track and layered it. Uh, you know, it's, oh. it's industry jargon, like mm -hmm. I was talking before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I won't, bore, I won't yeah. bore you with that, but um, Never it sounded horrible. And I ruined it more. And now I'm sad about it. And oh. I haven't looked at it for a while. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it is what it is. The rap game is not for the faint of heart. Before we get started, I have a, a pre-game <coughs> list that I was I was, we should go over. And All right. The way I like to think about this is it's like a game of hacky sack. Are you familiar with hacky sack? Yeah, I always hated hacky sack. Oh, this should be fun. No, it's like hacky sack in the way that, unlike a game of catch, if you're playing catch with your old man with, you I'm know, pretty a, a uncoordinated. Like, baseball. Well, that's, it's good. You're not uncoordinated. This is like a game of verbal hacky sack, okay, which I think you'll be quite good at it. Okay, ready. Yeah, so you know how in Hacky Sack, the Hacky Sack goes back and forth, but if I want to keep it and bounce it a few extra times, you know, showboat a little bit, give the people what they want to see, <laughs> I can do that. But eventually, I got to pass it back over. It's not like catch where it's just directly one to one to one. Yeah, solid analogy. Good. I'm glad it, I'm glad it played. And then let's see. I did the Hacky Sack thing. We got that out of the way. Rule number one. That wasn't rule number one. Nope, I guess that that's just more like a mantra. You okay, think about the sweet. hacky sack as we're doing this. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. <laughs> Rule number one, have fun. Sweet. You know, we're here to have fun. I mean, I did bring Rainier, so I'm ready, oh, yeah. to, ready to have a blast. No, Mountain Fresh. Mountain Fresh. What's it? Olympia? Olympia Brewing is it's in the water. water. It's in, and they just stopped making that officially. Oh, no. Do they still make hams? Yeah, because my mom is like the biggest buyer of hams probably in the world. They got a good looking can. But actually she's drinking Rainier now because she can't get hams on the peninsula. It's like oh. they're no longer shipping to the peninsula. Bummer. Speaking of not shipping to the peninsula, God, I'm, like, I'm not supposed to say the GD anymore. <laughs> I promised my mom. <laughs> I almost said it, mom. I almost said it. Shout out, mom. Shout out. But no, I'm getting some, trying to get Ikea cabinets. Oh. It is the biggest pain in the ass. I, I, every time I've tried to ship anything from Ikea, it's like, your oh, item no, costs... sorry, we cannot do it. Well, no, they're like, oh, here's your item. It's $80. Shipping is $240. I know. <laughs> There's a lovely gentleman helping me at the Portland store. And mm. I could tell he just didn't want to say it, but he's like, sorry, dude. You got no fucking options. Yeah. I can't help you. Come to the store. 
I came to the store. Oh. I was at the store when he was telling me this. That's why he was feeling guilty. Because he's like, eh, I, I know you drove all the way, but you're going to oh. have to make several more trips or pay $200 an item for shipping. You sons of bitches. You Swedish <laughs> motherfuckers. Why do I love you so much? They're great. I actually... I love it. Oh, man. The store <laughs> itself, fantastic. Full of pregnant Adult bitches. Disneyland. I mean... Oh, yeah. I went there when packed. I was pregnant. For yep, sure. They all do. It's like Mecca. It um, is. It's for, a pregnant Mecca. Yep. Just wandering in a big circle. <laughs> yeah. They've got food at the end. just carrying purses. Yep. Yeah. It's great, though. Yep. So you either ever eat those, those horse meatballs? Oh, yeah. Those are fucking great. They're great. Like the, I brought them home the in the freezer Swedish pack. Shiny sauce Delicious. on them. Delicious. Yeah. Love them. So good. Rule number two. This can be whatever we want. It, it's an interview but because people want to hear about you, but it's also just, you know, have fun. We can do bits or banter or whatever we want. Sweet. So don't feel pressure to make it a certain thing. Oh, rule number three. This is a show. So God damn it, you better make it a show. All right, I'll bring my best, so I my A game. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> uh, rule number four. Silences are okay. I feel people's tension when things are silent because that happens in real life. There's lulls in oh, conversation. Yeah. It's part of the flow of how people communicate. For some reason on this, uh, people are like, oh, my God, say we got to say something. And they're looking at me like, say something. And then I'll say something like, because I was, uh, then I'll ask a question that was unrelated to those noises. <laughs> and so we don't, I'm trying not to do that as much. And so silences are fine. They're, we can cut them out. They, they, they don't end up in the final product. So. Well, all, that's like the good. first rule of interviewing, like in journalism school, is when you interview people, like silence makes people tell you stuff that they weren't expecting to tell you. Yeah, it's great. They got to fill it. Yeah, totally. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have given away my, my best trick. I know um, all of your secrets. Yeah, maybe I should have just let the person <clears throat> sit there in the tension until yeah. they talk more. Yeah, that's how it works uh, usually. It feels so rude. I can't handle that. <laughs> I'm trying to be a good host. Say it with your chest now. Say it with your chest now. I'm young. I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. Welcome to another episode of Ramble by the River. I'm joined in the studio today with an old friend, Madeline Moore. Madeline, how's it going? It's good. Excited yeah. to be here. I'm going to do that again. I didn't like the way that sounded. <laughs> um, also, I had an idea while I was doing that. I want to list off all of your jobs. Oh, yeah. Cool. Where did my yellow tablet go? Uh, I don't see it. All of my like current jobs? Yeah. Or, right. or just, you know, this the standard intro stuff. Whatever you want in there, I guess, actually. Sweet. Okay, junior is loyalty. <laughs> where do we? Where should we start? I don't know. I guess that's up uh, to you. Nineteen ninety. Okay, Wait. where are your current jobs? Main job: executive director of the Columbia Pacific Heritage Museum, and then I'm the director and co-founder of Rethinking Rural. I better turn my phone off. Or was that you? No, that's not me. Oh, I, I mean. <laughs> Uh, no big deal. <laughs> I never have my ringer on. 
What? You're a bad millennial. No one will ever be able to reach me. I, I don't look at my phone <laughs> enough. All right. Co-founder. Uh, yeah, co-founder and director of Rethinking Rural, which is a really horrible word to say into a microphone. I know. I was practicing <clears throat> earlier. Yep, it's awful. Already? And then, I mean, I guess these aren't jobs, but... I need one more, like, real one that's not funny or jokey. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a job, but I'm I'm I'll unelected. A mom. <laughs> oh, a mom? I'm a mom. Is that a job? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a mom is a job. I was kidding. I'm Mom is a job. The hardest. <laughs> the hardest. The hardest of jobs. Yeah, it is the hardest of jobs. Not even sure if I'm afraid of my own mom or, or my wife. I would be afraid of both. <clears throat> All right. So then I'm also an elected commissioner to the Ocean Beach Hospital. That's what it was. That's what it was. Uh, board of Commissioners. Board of Commish. All right. What year was Generous Loyalty? 2000. Was it 2000? Yeah, I think it was 2000 because it, Miss Loyalty was 2006. Did so, you win that also? Yeah. I thought so. You're good at winning stuff. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Apparently I should have just like continued in the like pageant winning world. Maybe I would have. Or win more important <clears throat> stuff. Maybe. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Well, Miss Loyalty. I, f- I had forgotten you won that also. Oh, yeah. Okay. From the top. <laughs> Welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I am joined in studio today with an old friend, Madeline Moore. Madeline is executive director of the Columbia Pacific Heritage Museum. She is co-founder and director of Rethinking Rural. She is elected Board of Commissioners member at the Ocean Beach Hospital and 2006 winner of Miss Loyalty Pageant, Madeline Moore. Welcome to the studio, Madeline. How's it going? That's great. How'd you get involved in so many things? uh, That's a bad question. That's a bad question. (laughs) We're not going to start with that one. How about instead, I would say something like, it sounds like you're good at winning. (laughs) Is that true? I am good at winning things that involve like speaking and like really putting a lot of work into. I'm bad at winning like random contests okay. or physical sports. Real things. first question. I can't put you on the spot like that first thing in me. <laughs> I, I, I can't sabotage you from the get go. I mean, whatever. Make, make, you got to choose between being arrogant or a liar. So, <laughs> I can't do that to you. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop goofing around. It's, it is really good to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. And it's really nice to see you. I, I mean, I see you all the time, but it's nice to talk to you. I know. I think that's what's so great about this is like you're forced in like a great way to just hang out and chat. Yeah. You can follow Rethinking Rural at Rethinking Rural on Instagram and Facebook. Google Rethinking Rural or Ramble yeah. by the River. It just pops right it up. It just pops right up. I just want to remind people, come on, guys, reach out. Check out the show online. Leave a comment, please. Well, you know what the new li- the new like is on Instagram. I was what? just reading about this. Is saving posts. So people have to save your posts. The little like, I don't know. It looks like the bottom of a ribbon. I save posts all the time, but that's just for me. Is that is that? So that is better for the algorithm for Instagram rather than a like. So if you're actually like doing a solid to different handles, it's saving a post, not liking a post. You heard it here, people. 
Heard it here Save first. those posts, but only mine. How do you know so much about the algorithm? Because I was social media manager for a drift for a while. Put it on the list. Yep. Put it on the list. Yep. You have a pretty substantial list of accomplishments in different jobs. When I look at your resume, though, I don't get the impression that you were fired from these jobs. You seem like a high achiever. Is, do you get bored easily? What's the deal? How are you? How do you do so much? Well, when you uh, the first question you asked, uh, I want you to answer them all in once. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, Tiffany I'm Turner g- had no problem answering <laughs> my questions. <laughs> oh, Tiffany. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty. I'm. I am an overachiever, 100%. That was like a nickname. I think that Randy Bloom gave me, or maybe it was Bishop. Somebody on Rick, one Rick of my... Bishop, shout out, friend of the show. Yep. I never had catchy nicknames. Mine always just said my name. Mm. Man, this chair is squeaky. It's driving me nuts. <laughs> I'm in the market for a new chair. Oh, yeah. Ergonomics, important, you know? Yeah. We're not getting any younger. Oh, uh, that is a fact. Spinal compression is real. I just noticed so many more gray hairs today. Really? Yeah. I asked my bar. I got my haircut yesterday. Mm-hmm. I asked the barber if he found any grays, and he's like, "No." Oh. And I think he was lying to protect my feelings. <laughs> yeah, probably. But who knows? Yeah, I have a lot of gray hairs. Anyway, yeah, I do get bored very easily, so that's part of it. But I also just tend to like follow opportunity. So, like, if something comes up and it seems exciting and, like, a good next step, then I jump in. But, yeah, I don't like doing the same thing for super long periods of time. Do you daydream about other new projects or do you wait for something to plop in your lap and be like, I could do this. This is the way to go. I think it's a mix. Like, Rethinking Rural was totally a daydream project. Those ones are scarier. Totally. That was a daydream. But then, like, a lot of things, I mean, being the director of the museum was totally plopped in my lap and that was just like oh yeah that seems like a perfect fit i'm gonna do that it really does seem like a perfect fit yeah and that seems like that was pretty recent how long is it just in september wow so but i've i volunteered at the museum since i was five and was on their board of directors actually when we were searching for a new director so so yeah it was definitely like must have been an easy choice for the board yeah it wasn't hard It definitely like was a bit of an insider game, but it like all worked out really well. Is that a full time gig? You get to it is, yeah. That's awesome. So we had some listener submissions for questions. Oh, Would you for mind this if I... for this podcast specifically? Yeah. Oh the, yay. <laughs> yeah, this that you just reminded me of when talking about the museum. Uh huh. So I'll pull them out. Oh no. But yeah, the museum thing's cool. Do you are you pretty involved with like designing programs or anything? And what's your day to day stuff like while I pull out this? Yeah, list? I mean, because it's such a small museum, we only have five staff, and that includes our maintenance person. So, I mean, in terms of like daily programming at the museum, the executive director does a lot. So it, it is nice because I get to be involved in all aspects of the museum, not just like fundraising or managing a board or things like that. Would be like a big museum job. Does that include ghost control? We don't have, well, I don't think we have any ghosts specifically so at no. the museum. So I would Somebody say Somebody else no. is handling the ghosts. Yeah. You know who I, the instant you brought up Haggy Sack, the only person that I could think of was James Panic. James, oh yeah. Yeah. I remember him. And he played the bass. Yes, he did. All, I just imagined him immediately, him and Danny Lou playing Haggy Sack in the hallway. Uh, right after high school, me and my friends got into Hacky Sack for mm. probably one summer. 
enough to where we could like I mean it took a couple months before we could all get a full hack yeah okay that means nothing to me oh you don't hack <laughs> nope I don't hack oh man it's great so a full hack is when everyone in your group manages to hit the hacky sack at least once I really like this analogy I feel like it's a solid like team building analogy that you would use for like a yeah. workshop Hacky sack is a great team building exercise. One time, me and my friends <laughs> took some acid and played hacky sack for eight hours. And, you know, I don't think we ever felt like more of a team. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I got my, uh, uh, yeah, my, my, visit, my listener submissions. Mm -hmm. At Rowdy Randy1974 said, Madeline, why did you try to make Hannah do drugs? <laughs> I don't know, Rowdy Randy. Yeah, multiple Madelines on the peninsula, which is weird because it's such a small town, but whatever. Did you want to clear that up? I mean, like I said, I don't really care if people think that I asked <laughs> Hannah to do shrooms, but I definitely have never asked Hannah to do shrooms. I want to make a confession. <laughs> Rowdy Randy is my burner account, and I'm Rowdy Randy, 1974. And I just wanted to say I'm sorry for not clarifying <laughs> on episode 009, Hannah Bolden, when Hannah misspoke and did not tell which Madeline offered her mushrooms. Push Hannah in front of the bus, for sure. People assumed it was you. <laughs> and that's on me. Which I think, really when I heard it, I laughed really hard because I was like, wow, this is going to confuse so many people. And like, it did. They're going to think, wow, like, she really seems like she has her shit together, but also does shrooms regularly. Hmm. There's a few of those out there. <laughs> oh, whatever. I've heard Silicon Valley is packed Sweet. with them. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, I mean, I guess it just makes me look really high functioning, which is It fine. does. You're very trendy. Yeah. You're cutting edge. Yeah, which All is right. great. At Thanks for improving my profile. Happy to do it. <laughs> let's work on even improving it another notch here today. All right, let's go. At... Time for Biscuits, 62, where time is, you know, T-H-Y-M-E, the number four, Biscuits, 62. She says, Madeline, she sounds like an old lady to me. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. go, Madeline, what is Rethinking Rural? You can answer at, at whatever pace you need. Well, Time for Biscuits, I feel like, should have asked me a bakery question because... That's probably how she originally became your fan. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I was in this program called the Institute for a Democratic Future out of Seattle, which basically trains young people to get involved in politics in Washington state. And they bring together people all over across the state, but it's really Seattle centered and Seattle focused in terms of politics. But it was still a really great program and I met a lot of like really engaged young people but the whole time I was like it's like a six month program I just wanted it to be more focused on rural and I thought like oh this would be so cool if all these people like understood what rural was and and like myself consider rural to be like a really important par part of my identity and so I ended up meeting with these two women for a separate project out of Port Townsend and we had some cocktails together one night and I told them like hey I wouldn't it be awesome if we could get like a hundred rural millennials together in a room to just talk about like community development and what it means to consider rural a part of your identity and what it means to like want to have sustainable like thoughtful rural communities and they were like yeah that sounds great like sign me up so 
I've now had a four-year partnership with those two women. Uh, shout out Mallory, shout out Denise. And we started Rethinking Rural. And so we did a symposium back in 2018 in March. And we had 50 rural millennials from across the country come to Port Townsend for like three days and talk about what it means to be a rural millennial and how to make our communities better. And from there, we had been planning another symposium in rural Alabama for 2020, which obviously, womp womp, didn't happen. So Bummer. Yeah. So it's basically, and now I'm putting together these series of videos that kind of tell the story of rural millennials like during the pandemic and how they've created businesses or how they've adjusted. So that's kind of... That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I saw something you posted where it looked like you were getting ready to shoot something. Mm -hmm. And I I was driving at the time, so I I could only write a short comment. But I was curious of what was going on. So what is... Are they like short documentaries? What exactly is it that you're making? Yeah, so we're partnering with this national organization called Rural Assembly. And they do a conference... Well... They usually do in-person conferences, but since the pandemic, they've been doing this thing called Rural Everywhere, and it's these national digital conferences. They did one a couple months ago, and we're producing three videos on specific people that will premiere during that digital conference. And then a part of that is that we've partnered with a rural comic artist, Nat, out of Port Angeles, and uh, you can. I'm trying to remember her handle because she's so worth following. It's like Nat Attack comment, comics, N-H-A-T-T, I think. And so she's making a comic based on each of the videos that we did. So for example, the first one is about this woman, Jury, who lives in Port Townsend, who created a bicycle delivery service during the pandemic. So she delivers groceries to people. And Nat's also creating a comic to go along with the video that we're creating for that. And then it, it's later like three to five minute long videos. And then they'll premiere during the conference. So yeah. what what exactly is rural? What does rural mean and how many times can you say it fast? Like probably twice. <laughs> That's a tough one. It's, a, it's it makes my lips feel like they're not big enough. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm like kind of hurling a little bit uh-huh. and I have to say rural rural, rural. and it makes it's me tough. think of what that that show 30 rock rethinking rural actually that yeah. kind of freshens it up it does freshen it up that's nice yeah it actually yeah. rolls right off but i think it's 30 rock where i haven't seen I that so that long but when they make the like play oh the rural juror the rural juror <laughs> <laughs> forgot so, about the rural yeah juror. the rural, rural juror. i had that kicking around yeah. in here just now and i was like grasping i couldn't think of what it was that's totally funny. so anyway i hate that word and i've tried like a for the last six years to try and figure out a different word to use but there really is not another word like yeah what would be even a you can't even there's nothing i have tried wow because i hate the word rural like because i also say i think i particularly say it very badly so every time it comes out of my mouth i like think about it yeah yeah for like the first three weeks of this podcast every time i tried to say the name i called it ramble on the roof (laughs) (laughs) it it was really getting annoying you should have you should just renamed the podcast i think it's because when i first started instagram (laughs) it back in like 2010 or 11 it my handle was the rambling roofer or some something like that because i was roofing at the time oh yeah so (laughs) it got got in my head (laughs) and then all these years later i yeah, it still just pops out every once in a while. It's weird. Yeah, Instagram is actually getting old 
it's it's ten yeah. years old. Totally, the cool young kids are not on Instagram. I know it's it's weird. It goes through like where they're TikTok, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. You on TikTok? Like, I am on TikTok, <gasps> but I like don't. I was for a drift. Oh said, yeah. yeah, okay. So business TikTok. Yeah. I, I I've considered getting on there since this started. I gotta figure out how to make get people to listen to the show. It's such a time suck. Like, I I, I don't have room for it. When I first downloaded the app for the first time, I think I spent like three hours just like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Like, oh, more cat videos, more moms drinking wine videos. Like, this just got They'll so They'll figure sucked out something in. for everybody. Oh, so funny. So now I, de- I deleted it because I can't have that on my phone. Yeah. What's your go-to social media? <laughs> uh, Instagram. Yeah, me too. It's simple. Yeah. I wish they could let you direct link stuff. Totally. I think that I've heard that's coming because hmm. Facebook owns it and all that jazz. I was thinking it was because then they force you to pay for one of the sponsored ads. So you can't just do an ad on a regular post because there's no links. Could be. I think originally the reason why they didn't have it is because they were trying to make it more of just like an image based. They didn't want you to leave the platform. It was just like, here's a picture. Uh-huh. Enjoy it. Yeah. And it was less like a... A social networking tool like Facebook or it's trying to get you to now. other it's things. Sto- it's a store. Totally. Basically, there's. It is a store. Yeah. I mean, you can buy stuff now. And their ads. I was talking about this with Allie. Uh, oh yeah. It's like the new mall, except it's specifically targeted at you, and the ads are like so insanely dangerous. good. So at, good. At nailing what you want. It's just bizarre. Uh, it's, they know. They know like exactly what kind of hypochondriac aches and pains I have that I have not told anybody ever. Oh, yeah. Just by, like, what you kind of hover around in your Instagram feed. Pull out somebody's phone and look at their Instagram uh, Explore page. You will look deep into their soul. That's actually weird. I've never thought about that. But, yeah, if you pulled up someone else's, it would look totally When you different. think of someone looking at yours, does it make you feel pangs of, of terror? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me, too. I, don't, <laughs> like, I can't let people know. <laughs> even though I, I'm not looking at anything that would even be su- remotely surprising. The whole thing is full of like body videos, like oh. a move, movement stuff, like how to move correctly. There's nothing like that on mine. They don't uh, think I do any <laughs> physical fitness. I, I'm obsessed. I, I've never talked about this on the podcast, I don't think. But I'm obsessed with figuring out like why certain parts of my body have just always hurt. Oh. And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. And it, I have. And it's like I trace most of it back to like compensating for injuries that have totally. caused other injuries that have caused other injuries all the way up the chain like i have problems with my jaw all the way down to my ankle and i think it all stems back to a, a really bad sprained ankle i had in eighth grade uh, where i tore ligaments in my foot and didn't go to the doctor yeah and it's my the doctors say i have a sloppy ankle how dare um, they? He did the quote things with his fingers, the finger quotes. You have a sloppy ankle. Mm. And I don't know who he was quoting, but the guy doesn't sound like a doctor. I hate when people do that. I hate when people quote stuff that's not actually a quote or like in emails, put quotes around stuff. Misuse, misuse of quotation marks. It drives me nuts. It should be punishable by death. That and misuse of capitals. Oh, Come yeah. on. I have it's 2021, people. I have more sympathy for, for you know, the dummies than I used to when it comes to that stuff because... I have no sympathy. Well, it's harder now to remember for me. So, like, I'll be writing a word and I'll be like, is it, you know, I-E or E-I? Ah, who gives a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that must be what dumb people feel like. (laughs) And uh, I have way more sympathy for, like, misspelling. 
Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Misspell a word. Turn your caps lock off. Oh, yeah. Why are you yelling at me? Yeah, why are you yelling at me? That's uh, only old people do that. (laughs) And you know that's true. Sorry, mom, again. (laughs) God damn. I think you asked me what rural means. Yeah, no, I mean, you answered that pretty good. Yeah, did um, I? Plus, I already knew. Oh, so good. I was, right. I was just testing you. Just asking questions you already know the answers to? Um, it's called exposition, Maddie. <laughs> Look it up. Jeez. We've kind of competed a few times throughout our lives because, well, what did we meet? We were four years old, probably, mm-hmm. kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And right away, you were kind of an achiever then. And I've never been the type to really, you know, be put in a box, but... I felt like I was I was going to try to be an achiever as well. And you got a lot of that attention that I wanted. <laughs> I feel like you have so much more. You, like you, Matt, and Hannah even have, your memories for this stuff are so much better than mine. I'm always like, oh, yeah, that. But I would never remember those stories. Low-key dig. I gotcha. I, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, refresh my memory. Well, like what? <clears throat> well, I think I was talking a lot about student elections. Yes. You know. Highlights of my career. Which is something I was always very bad at winning. Never won that. Yeah, but when you did win, you did a very good job. I never won. I never won a student election. Yeah, well, you were in leadership class, though, and I let you do most of the work. <laughs> so uh, was I like hey, the... Um... I can recognize potential. <laughs> and you got it, kid. <laughs> what would be that... What well, I'm trying to think, like, what that would be in, like, the presidential cabinet. Like chief the first... of staff. Yes, exactly. All right, I was chief of staff. Yeah. But yeah, that actually is kind of where I was going. Do you think you'll have, do you see yourself at any point running for any kind of political office? I mean, I hold political office now with the hospital board. That's an elected. I mean, a real one. (laughs) Well, when you put it that way. Are you going to be president someday? Well, weren't we both both voted the most likely to become president? Oh, yeah. That's in the yearbook. Yeah. Right right here. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, let's see what else you won. You won more than one of those, if I recall. I think we both one the same two the same two i yeah. think we both won most likely to become famous and both most likely to become president and look at us now hey living in Chinook. but yeah no i think oh, i mean i would the football you find? football picture powder puff oh yeah that was fun that was fun we got a few of the former guests hannah bolden allison brooks I just remember Anna Kitzman taking someone out, like, at the knees hard. <laughs> that can be said for most sporting events from in which she was involved. Yes, yeah, totally. Yeah. I just remember Anna kicking ass. That's oh, yeah. All. Yeah. You did not mess with her in sports. No, she was good. Yeah, no, I definitely see myself running for other political offices. I mean, I think it's, re- it's hard for me sometimes to want to do it because it is so unforgettable. Uh, it's a fucking mess. It's a mess. Yeah. And it's like, is it worth? I don't like to do things that I don't think are worth my time. And Time's sometimes, precious. yeah. And sometimes I'm like, political office, like that's not worth my time. I could do way more good, like, like running a nonprofit or investing in my own community in like private ways rather than running for office and having everyone hate me and. No matter what me. you do. Yeah. And yeah. I'm a, I'm a crier. Uh huh. So I feel like yeah, that. Yeah, you time. are a crier. I'm <laughs> still doing that, huh? Still doing that. Yep, got yeah. made to cry by by some little oh, lady not too down, long ago. Calm down. <laughs> what happened with the little old lady? Oh, just you know, little lady stuff. Bitches. <laughs> so yeah, no. Sorry, ladies. Still, I don't actually think that. Still definitely a crier. So when I think about like being a politician, I'm like, there's no way. Like I would just ball. Yeah, people are mean to them. And I don't handle meanness well. 
I handle like tough situations very well. I handle like I will pick up shit like i am good at managing stuff and helping things and whatever you'll stop the bleeding i will stop the bleeding i will make sure you don't die but if someone's mean to me oh it all just crumbles and i just like it's weird <laughs> why is why does that happen i don't know i'm similar but i i reacted like the masculine version of uh, that where like i'll stop the bleeding and, and is I can I can stay calm and everything, but as soon as people start like putting undue expectations on me or blaming me uh, oh, yeah. for for the the problem, the bleeding, whatever it happens to be in this scenario, it's kind of morbid, but it works well here. I react in anger. I'm like, mm. all right, fine, fuck it. You guys, let them die. <laughs> I, yeah. I would cry. I would just start crying and then keep trying to keep the person alive, but yeah. also cry. Crying is all right though. Yeah. Yeah. Crying is okay. Have you ever gone? What's the longest you've ever gone without crying? Couple weeks. That's a pretty long time. I mean, I feel like probably, yeah, probably a couple weeks. I've known a lot of people who go years and years, or at least they say they do. Are those people liars or are those people just putting their emotions in a dark tomb? I would think that. Me too. That's probably what they want you to think as well. (laughs) Crying in private. Those little crying bitches. I don't know. I do. I feel like crying is definitely like therapeutic for me sometimes, but then like uh, other times, I, I, yeah, I just like can't help myself, and I get like really like when I feel like I'm being mean to like someone's being mean to me, then I just like oh the pain lose cry. it, yeah, oh, and I can't worst. talk even if I'm not that upset, you know. Yeah. What's that's your favorite worst. kind of cry? I'll give you mine. Yeah. Give I it. love a wedding cry. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's oh, like a little refreshing. Great. They're always short. It's just or like new a, baby cry. And you kind of like, laugh at the end of it. Totally. Oh, new baby cry is yeah. almost too much. I can't do that often. <laughs> I, but it's like when I, th- when I say new baby cry, I'm thinking like other people's babies. And I'm like, okay. oh, they had a baby. Like, I remember that. I actually so haven't sweet. had a other people's new oh, baby cry. Yep. Oh, yeah. But I had my own, and that was a powerful moment. I It actually gives me a little bit of the shivers now thinking about it because it was – Stirring. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like watching that new life come into the world is, is pretty cool. You ever think you'll have any more kids? Uh, Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's weird. Like, I think I would I would have said no like a year ago. And my mindset about that has changed mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I forgot how bad it hurts. Partially that. <laughs> I've heard uh, that really does happen. It does. Everyone told, tells you tells women that at least like when they have babies and I'm that like, yeah, whatever. Insulting. Super insulting. Everyone always telling you what's what about babies and yeah. pregnancy. when. But then it usually is right. <laughs> yeah. When Melissa was pregnant, I read yeah. a ton of pregnancy books and I've always planned on being a dad. So I, it, it actually feels kind of embarrassing to admit this, but I read a shitload of pregnancy books before I was a dad. Through, Which is good. Men should do that. Yeah. I Just because it's interesting to me, you know, actually it yeah. was assigned reading in college, most of it. But yeah, I, I, I knew some stuff, but you have to be so careful telling women anything about pregnancy because you can be around some people who you know didn't read the books. <laughs> and if you give them advice... They still get really mad. Yeah. Uh, ladies don't, they don't want to hear that shit from no. a, a human with a penis. Nope. Nope. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Especially in this day and age. It's getting real tricky <laughs> to be able to <laughs> sling out advice these days for the old white male. Yeah. Yeah. You're not on like super, super solid footing right now. Mm-mm. Nope. Nope. People are not really listening for what we want to say. Nope. <laughs> 
at the at the moment. It's fine. You know, I'll yeah. take a back seat for it's now. It's been like a couple thousand Always. years of you being paid attention to, so I think it's okay. I know, just bad timing, I think. For, it is bad for timing. Me. <laughs> I didn't do all those horrible things. Yep. But now you're getting screwed. Yeah. And you know what's kind of funny actually because there's a lot of talk about white privilege, mm-hmm. uh, which is 100% real, and I don't even need to make any jokes about that. And the kind of the argument with that is that we may not have, you know, perpetrated those acts, but we did benefit, benefit. from the systems that they created. Totally. But yeah, now at the same time, it's like your turn is over, guys. So <laughs> move the fuck on, and everyone else needs a chance now. So we. You know, do we not get the benefit? Do we? So do we? Uh, do we get the privilege or don't we get the privilege? Okay. I think you've still gotten a lot of privilege. Uh, so I think I, you're I doing. I think agree. you're doing fine. I would have to agree. My life has been pretty good. It's just funny to think about because people do act like most of that. I mean, a lot. Not all people, but people between the ages of eighteen and twenty-four act like these are black and white issues. Mm. And it's really easy to get sucked into that. I, I thought it was pretty simple when I was that age that's mm-hmm. that's how i relate and that's also why i'm so slow to make judgments because i remember i remember what it's like to to believe so so wholeheartedly in in your view of things so much so that when you are confronted with a view that's very different that it's almost hard to understand and that kind of it just comes with age perspective and practice i think if you allow it i think there's a lot of people who don't allow that growth especially like once they get past 25 30 they start to like shut down that part of their brain and, and why do you think that is i don't know i think it's, it's easy, easy. Yeah. yeah i think it's e- that's the easy way look at us finishing each other's sentences <laughs> yeah i think it's easy and but I it's kind of lazy totally lazy and it's also dangerous because totally it, a lot of those knee-jerk reactions are just plain wrong yeah i mean i believe you never stop learning and and our society and our culture is never going to stop evolving and changing and what we believed when we were 16 or what we were taught to be true is of course not going to be the same thing that society believes when we're 40. So to think that that's the case is just silly. And things change faster now than they used to. Like the rate of change is, is just accelerated. Which is why I think there needs to be a lot of grace. Like, I think people need to be filled with grace with for each other because I think, like, it is it is fast-paced and it is hard for people to wrap their brains around sometimes that, that things do change so quickly and that what they learned when they were 16 is not the case now. And, and it's fine. It's fine for it to be hard, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. Yeah, I guess. And is that what you mean when you say grace is yeah. be kind when people... Be kind. Yeah, when they make mistakes or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think being kind when people make mistakes and being kind when people make you recognize those mistakes. Because I think the knee jerk That's is... That's a tough one. It is. Being, not being defensive. And I think like as like a white person and a white woman, like... I have a lot of learning to do and I will always have a lot of learning to do. And my experience is very different than most. And so like if when I make a mistake and I say something that is not sensitive or is incorrect or whatever, it will happen. It'll happen. And if somebody brings that to my attention, like rather than doing the knee jerk, no, I'm right. Or I'm going to be offended by you calling out the fact that I'm wrong. Like just recognize it, own it think about it and yeah. then work on it if it is truly something that yep 
And then be just as quick to forgive when somebody offends you. If we all do that, it'll be easier. But it's so hard. It's just hard. Like, I, I can say that all day, and then when somebody legitimately offends me and in one of those spots that you just get, they get between your armor yeah. and they just pierce you, you react before you think. Like, you, like, your emotions are so strong and your defenses go up so quick that it's really hard to sit there and be like, well, what's the kind thing to do? Yeah. How am I going to better society? But that's why it's important to have principles so that you just yeah. know there are certain lines you don't cross. And it's, I mean, I think I've gotten really good lately, even though I'm definitely a crier. Like, I don't think I don't take things too personally because it's just not there's no point. Yeah. Like, and I don't engage, I guess, like I don't engage on those conversations like in social media because I just don't find them to be helpful. And I don't think anyone's getting anything out of it. So I just don't no. engage. And most people who have time to argue on Twitter or Facebook are not doing a whole lot. Yeah. I mean... I'm a, I'm, I'm a doer. Like, I would much rather go get shit done. I don't want to sit around and just, like, talk about it. And It does feel kind of like verbal masturbation. Yeah. When people just argue about, you know, the same shit over and over again. Totally. It's exhausting. I it's don't have totally the energy exhausting. for it. And then you don't have the energy to, like, actually do anything about it. And, yeah. like, I think there's totally valid things to come out of conversation and, like, all of that and I think like obviously the Black Lives Matter movement has like brought a lot of things to a conversational point that we weren't having two years Boy, that ago. that crazy to watch. Whew. So I think it's super valuable but then it's like well then what are we going to do about it because if we just yab about it and we all think that we're like a little more enlightened and that we're a little more sensitive and we understand our privileges and our biases but we're not doing anything then what's the point? Yeah you have to kind of take it with you into real life. Yeah, you can read a million books and still not actually apply any of those things in your day to day. Yeah, listen to Madeline dropping how many books she can. <laughs> we get it. You're so smart. Oh, God, so smart. Okay, wait. So you only told me one thing. So I was your chief of staff. But what were the other things that we went head to head with? I think most of it was in my own head, if I'm being oh, honest. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm... <clears throat> It's it's 90% a joke, but the <laughs> yeah, the truth is it was always like if there was any kind of a vote for something or there was a one slot that or there was a, a writing contest or a, anything where people... You're really upset you didn't win Miss Loyalty, aren't you? Oh my God, it haunts me. <laughs> I looked so good in that gown. This is actually a real listener submission from Alex Mack. Oh, nice. He said, is there a basement or hidden storage area somewhere at the museum? I mean, I mean, uh, where's the good stuff? Do they, where do they hide the bodies? You know, those, the zoomorphic bulls and the canoes and stuff. I heard there's some canoes. Did you just make that up from Alex or is that actually? No, that's what he said. Okay, great. Because <laughs> if you made it up from Alex, it's like pretty spot on for something. Right after I got off the phone with him, I wrote it down. Sweet. Perfect. I, I was curious about that too. It sounded like a good question. I mean, I think that the museum is more of a treasure than a lot of people just assume from like walking through our exhibits or kind of like the day to day of what the museum does. I truly believe that the museum is the it's the keeper of our heart of our communities. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is that it is the keeper of our culture. And without the museum, we would lose so much of what makes this place and the people who built it and the people who live here special. And so, yeah, I mean, we don't have a basement because we're in a Waco built on 
almost fill, but there is a lot of within the museum archives that is super special. And we do have some canoes. Are we they have, on display? We do. We actually have like a modern built Chinook canoe. And then we have a canoe that apparently came out of Loomis Lake that's like that people always thought was a native canoe, but it's not. It's like a it's carved out of one lot one log. I mean it's just like a recreational canoe. And then we have a duck boat, a well, double so under duck let's boat. Let's go back to this mystery canoe. Yes, mystery So somebody pulled it out of the lake yeah. and popped it in the museum. But then, like, an expert came and saw it and was like, oh, actually, no, it's not. What's the story on that? You know, I don't know the full story, but from what I understand is that whoever found it in the lake at some point just assumed that it was, like, a native canoe. Because you'll get that a lot. I mean, whenever people dig anything up, it's like, oh, this must be from, this must be from the Chinook. Like, and it's not. Other people make stuff. Yeah, well, that and, I mean, it's just assumed that if it's old and it's in the ground sometimes that it, like, has native connection, and that's not always the case. And this was definitely not a native-built canoe. It's not the style. It's not the era. And so somebody, at some point, after it was donated, came and looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, this is just a... Hmm. This was, like, somebody at their summer cabin or something built this log canoe to tool around in Loomis Lake. I think that's what people, some people assume is like, oh, you must be like an expert on local history. And it's like, no, I- Right away, I assumed that right away. I mean, I know a lot, mostly because I like grew up volunteering at the museum and grew up, I interned there a couple summers and things like that. And I'm interested in local history, but I mean, my job as a director is to make sure that we make money, like that we have money and that we can pay staff and that our doors stay open. I'm not the one that's managing like collections that come in. I'm not the one that's like, you're not the curator. I'm not the curator. I'm not the collections manager. I'm the director. I'm the the money person, really, which is good. I mean, that's yeah, they what need I'm, that person. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's and important. I'm sure you're good at that. You're very organized. Yeah. Did any of the skills you kind of probably acquired through running your own business transfer? Yes. I mean, I I feel like running your own business is like the best training ground for just about anything. Pink Poppy Bakery yep. was your business. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So after I graduated from college, Jacob and I went and worked on organic farms in Ireland for six months. And when we were there, we were trying to decide what to do when we got home because I didn't have a job. And I just graduated with a journalism degree in 2011, which was not a great time to have a journalism degree. And I couldn't get a job. I didn't want to work for the local paper again because I had already done that. And I just couldn't really find a job. And I knew that Jacob was going to be back in the area working in the oyster industry. So I had always wanted to start a bakery. And I'd always joked about owning a bakery in Paris. And so I was like, well, i just start one at the beach. <laughs> so we moved home. And I started like a little farmer's market bakery and yeah, did it for over six years until I had Quincy and it was great. It was really rewarding. And, and I made, I became a part of the community in like a really unique and special way that I wouldn't have become had I not had my own business and not, and had I not been like providing joy. I mean, yeah, you were very embraced. Yeah, yeah totally. Really cool. Plus it was awesome to have a bakery that yeah. was that you could get delicious treats from. Because I was doing different things. I mean, I was a totally different style of bakery than anything else exactly. on the peninsula or Astoria. And I was doing like kind of the what is now like the hip kind of 
wedding cakes, but back then was like still pretty fresh and yeah. new. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just was like this little niche that I was able to fill for six years and, and it was super great. I loved every second of it, really. Is that a chapter that's just closed and you don't really, is, is it, do you have finality about it in your own head or is it something you think you'll go back to someday? I do. I feel like I did it. It was a lot of work. Oh, I bet. Like, so much work. It was something that I could really only do in my, like, 20s without kids. Uh-huh. it was really grind. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to be in a bakery making stuff for, I mean, I would have, like, a 16-hour day. Like, there were days where I was just in there from 4 a.m. until 7 p.m. just working. And and then all the markets. And I didn't have any employees until I had the storefront for a year. And your sister was one of my beloved employees. But yeah, mostly it was just me. And that was a lot. That is a lot. Mm-hmm. I did I kind of varied year to year. But like the first year I was at both the Iwako Saturday Market and then the Sunday Market in Astoria. And then most of the years I was only at Iwako Saturday Market and then sometimes also at like the Long Beach Friday Market. I remember in sixth grade, you well, we had a project for Miss Averia's class mm-hmm. where we had to do like a procedural speech, uh-huh. and I made a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> and I really phoned it in. If you if I'm thinking about I, it, honestly, I'm trying to remember what I made. I feel like you it, made bagels. No, no, that wasn't for Severia's. I was thought it? it was. It was. No, that was for Bishop's. Because I remember it? being... You might have cooked or baked more than once. I don't know. Maybe but, it was for Severia. I feel um, like you probably have a better... No, it was it was in okay. Severia. It was sixth grade. I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I know it was at Hilltop. Yeah, okay. I remember prepping my presentation in Dan Shanks' class. But I remember that very vividly, boiling bagels. Uh-huh. I loved baking. All through high school and everything, I baked all the time. And I was constantly working through the at-home... Or uh, baking with Julia... Book. Baking with Julia Child? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Childs or Child? Childs. Julia Child. Child without an S. Child. Well, if, if we're yeah. wrong, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, whatever. But yeah, that's she's like the OG oh, of yeah. baking, right? She does French cuisine, mm-hmm. correct? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I really love cooking, and you know, I just don't have time to do it. What, do you find time to cook now, or is it just yeah you do? Yeah, maybe a little less like in the last six months or so. But well, before I was the director at the museum and before I worked for Drift, I was a private chef for the Willapa Bay Artist Residency up in Oysterville. Oh, I put that on the list. Put that on the list. And so I cooked for six residents. We They turned over every month. So we got six new residents every month and it was March through September. And I cooked all their meals. So it was Basically, fun. oh, so fun! I mean, it was you had so fun. Really good ingredients and just. Lots it was of- basically like being a stay-at-home mom for six adults, and you didn't have to do any laundry, and you just got to cook like gourmet food. And they would like not pick out the capers. Exactly. Yeah, and they were just awesome. so grateful That's all cool. the time, every day. It was great. It was super so fun. How-, how did I fall into that game? Oh yeah, so Jeff McMahon, who was the owner chef at Pelicano Restaurant in El Waco. I worked there. I loved that place. Love Still, to this day, one of my favorite restaurants ever in the whole world. One of the best steaks I ever had. Was so from good. There. Everything. Also one of the worst Chiopinos. So, <laughs> Hit or miss. We all have our days. Yeah. Love that place. And so I was a waitress there for a number of years, like when I'd come back from college in the summer. 
And anyway, Darius uh, Grass, who was married to, or is married to Nels, who used to be the pastor at the church here in Chinook, we got to know each other. She was the original private chef up at the residency. Jeff is the the groundskeeper kind of manager guy. And so I knew both Darius and Jeff. And when Darius was moving, I was very pregnant, like about to give birth and found out that she was about to move. And I was like, who's taking your job? Because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I had Quincy because I knew I couldn't do the bakery anymore. And she was like, no one, you would be perfect. Like, so you just saw a hot iron yeah. and you struck it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And it worked out. I mean, it was perfect because it was like, I knew Darius really well. And Je- and Jeff was kind of the, is the kind of the manager of the place. And so he knew me super well. So it was just like, oh, yeah, you want that job? You got it. So obviously you put yourself in a position to have opportunities mm-hmm. and just as the, you always have. Do you ever feel like it's somehow predetermined, like it's fate? Do you believe in any kind of destiny or is it just random good luck? I I think I believe in a mix. Like I do believe in fate and I believe that there are are things that are going to happen to you. But I do believe you have to make the right decisions when they're presented to you and that you have to jump on things when you have the opportunity to. So that's kind of what I've always done is like, I think through decisions very carefully and I definitely don't jump in without like thinking through things, but I also am always open to what may come. And when, I mean, whenever I see a job opportunity or anything, I'm always like, oh, like I want to think about this for five minutes. Even when you're fully employed. Yeah. Even when I'm just like, know that I'm really happy where I, I am, I still am like constantly looking like constantly thinking about like other things that I could do and all that stuff not that I'm a flighty person like I yeah, am I wouldn't call you that yeah I'm very much like you're kind just of excited by the book. about being alive yeah you're gonna go out and do some shit totally so like I just take it when it comes if you, do you have you ever had a rut where you're just like you're comfortable so you're not really pursuing change and you just like you, that you get that feeling where you're living the same day over and over yeah I think that was when I created rethinking rural Oh, cool. Because I was in the bakery for a few years, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Well, I guess there were two things. So probably the first thing I did was run for office because I was like, the bakery is great, but I, how much good am I really doing for my community? Um, and how much growth am I really getting out of this? Because I'm like, i doing the same thing kind of every day, and I'm good at it at this point. So then uh, I ran for office, and like that was great. Lots of growth. And then wanted to, like, do more from there. And then that was Rethinking Rural. Wow. Yeah. That, that's when I tend to create things when I feel like I'm in a rut. So how do you balance all of that in your health? Do you, mm-hmm. do you, how do you find time to recharge? Do, what do you do to recharge? Hmm. That's a long pause. Yeah. Do I do anything? How's- <laughs> How's the, that's I just helpful. started. I just started embroidery like oh, a few weeks go. ago. Yeah, you've always been into old lady crafts. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Which I love. They're they're great. That's how I got started at the museum. Is I was like four or five, and we were at Cranberry Fair and the rug hookers ladies who like hook rugs. Mm-hmm. I great was name. just obsessed, and so then I became the youngest hooker. <laughs> <laughs> 
and they just adopted me. List. Yep, put, put it, it on, on the list. Youngest and so I like hooked rugs with the Rug Hooker Club for years. And yeah, I've always loved old lady shit. It is definitely right up my alley. Love it. So yeah, I started embroidery. Yeah, which, if I was going to pick one person out of our class yeah. uh, who could do needlepoint, <laughs> I'd probably guess you. <laughs> Can you do needlepoint? I've never done needlepoint. But you probably could, huh? I probably could figure it out. Trying to, lately, I've been like really trying to find some uh, solo time. Speaking of solos. Oh, boy. I don't know. This does is this <laughs> at all ring oh, no. a bell? I feel like I know where this is going. I had several Multiple things. Multiple ways this could go. Um, yeah. This is exactly where I thought this was going. <laughs> I could probably get away with playing five seconds of this. <laughs> without getting in trouble. <laughs> yep. So that's a, a flute solo that, if I'm not mistaken, there is a dance number oh, that goes yeah. along with it, with the flute. Yep. So you've always been involved in the arts. And oh, yeah. like, I remember you being into drama, band, you did piano lessons. Mm -hmm. Do you still have any artistic pursuits like that or are you all just out there kicking ass and taking names? Yeah, I actually I just started learning how to play like the banjo. Oh, cool. Recently. When was the last time you picked up a flute? Oof, like high school, I think. Do you think you could play that song if you had to? I don't, I mean, I could figure, it would take me a few hours, but I could figure it out. How, how did you pick that song by Canned Heat? Because my involved? parents. <laughs> yeah. was, that was always. <laughs> I have the weirdest dates because of my parents. It's awesome. It makes you a unique person. That's that's such a benefit. Uh, it is, but it also makes you really uncool in high school. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe until Halloween, <laughs> and you show up with the dopest homemade costumes. Uh, yep, I'd had a lot of those. Was that the the flute thing for? That was for a talent show. It right? was for a talent show. Was that that was when me and Danny were the MC? I yeah, I think so. We had that bit where one of us turned into a robot and threw the other one off the stage. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I. Oh yeah, then Alex Mack came out and arrested me. <laughs> uh, we played the Bad Boys theme from Cops. Oh yeah, I remember that. Was that. Funny. I but I the thing that I think about with like high school talent shows because I I loved talent shows like I too, just ate that up and but all most of the other girls with talent shows would like lip sync like to the latest like Backstreet Boys song or like yeah, Britney you were Spears definitely doing your own thing and I was like I'm gonna learn a swing dance like I'm gonna play flute. To a canned heat song. Yeah, and you did a you so that dance number finished mm. with a big slide. Uh, yes, it did. It I think I like got legit knee burns from that. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. that <laughs> the sound of that screech across the the polished wood floor, just yeah. like <clears throat> you still it, hear you it. You could hear it over the cheers. Mm -hmm. It was yep. so loud. Were there cheers? Oh yeah, people loved it. These these things like you say that the the other kids were doing. You know, dancing to NSYNC or Smash Mouth. Yep. Um, or Blink-182. Yeah. And they were. And you say that like it was like that's what you should have been doing. Hell no. <laughs> the crowd loved that shit. More canned heat, I, I think I heard him saying. And uh, so, yeah, there were cheers. And, uh, <clears throat> and you did not break tears streaming down your face, nailing that smile, arms up triumphantly, flute in hand. <laughs> And I'll never forget it. 
Well, I still remember. I can't remember who was the music director at that point. She was only there for a few years. But part of my dance move was like where they like go to the river and drink wine or something. And I did this like drink and wine thing. And she was like, you got to cut that out. Yeah. They don't get it. They don't get it. And I feel like I don't I definitely was never embarrassed by doing that stuff. But now I look back and I'm like, whoo, woof. Like, see, I'm the opposite. My mom was always trying to get me to sing in public, oh, mm-hmm. um, like mostly at church, yeah. and I was just not about that. And even though I really deep down desperately wanted to. Oh, I yeah, totally. But I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just couldn't handle the thought of people looking at me and being like, look at that guy. <laughs> look at him. He's fucking trying at something. What a dumbass. And people will do that. Yeah. People are probably doing that to me right now as they listen to this podcast. Yeah. And I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I've never... I mean, I think I've gotten more timid about like performing, especially music. Like Music has kind of gotten wrapped up for me in weird ways in my brain. like Because <clears throat> of expectations? Yes. Because you set high bars as a kid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Canned Heat in a talent show is a very high bar, but... Well, no, you you played a lot of instruments, and you yeah. were, like, you performed. You were regularly, it seemed like. Anytime yeah. there was an opportunity, Madeline again. Oh, yeah. I loved performing. I know. I'm loved just, it. I'm, no, really, <laughs> you, you performed a lot, and it was great. It, it, so I could see how that would lead to some pressure to continue to get better. Yeah. Even though later you probably weren't focusing on that all that much. Right. And so I think that's what, like with the piano. I, I mean, I have a baby grand piano in my living room, but I rarely play it. Was it a Steinway? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Not even close. But I still like, I just, it has been hard for me to like get back into the piano because I just feel like there's so much pressure involved in like being at a certain level that I'm no longer at. And so like getting back to that level. Are you, are you like, I don't even know if it has a name, but like finger fluent. Can you play where your fingers, where you don't have to think about your fingers, they just move? Yeah. Do you, that has always looked like it just feels good to to just be able to let it go, especially with the piano because you have like all of your notes right in front of you. Um, yeah. And something about that seems really pleasing. I've totally. Always, I've always but then when you can't, when pianists. you when you were able to do that and then you can't do it anymore because mm-hmm. like you don't, like I don't have songs memorized anymore. And so I'm like reading. And so like reading music, I just like feel slow. And then it's not as fun because I'm like, oh, I yeah. remember when I could play this Bach piece like super fast. And like, Ooh. who's your favorite to, to play in? Uh, who's your favorite to listen to? I would classical. I would say Chopin is one of my favorite to play, and I'd say listen to. Like yeah, I like both. Chopin. Yeah, moody. Um, yeah, totally. Well, and like so, learning the banjo, it has been really freeing to me because I like it's this whole new instrument that I've never. There are no expectations. It's around. pretty hard, isn't it? I can't remember. So if that's one of the I'm hard actually ones. technically learning what's not a banjo. It's a it's a tenor banjo mandolele. Oh. It's this like weird. Of course. Thing, yeah. That's like a ba- it has like a banjo head, and then it's but it's got a neck that's only like this long, like a man. Like a ukulele. Like a well, so it's actually yes, like a ukulele, and then it's got nylon strings, not metal strings like a banjo so ukulele is is that nylon strings too yes so technically i think the the mandolin comes into account with the neck and okay. then the strings are the ukulele so it's like what's this the body shape like banjo oh okay 
It's like this big. Actually, I like have been. I just kind of started learning a song, and when I was like drinking and learning the song a couple weeks ago, I was like, I'm gonna bring it. I'm gonna play it on Jeff's podcast. I love but that. then I didn't. I I'm too. I'm not there yet. You need some musical yeah, guests. Need some musical guests. That'd be great. Well, that's what you and I like really connected with when we were in high school. Is music. That's true. Do you? What do you listen to these days? I mean, we were talking about music the other day. Yeah. I did check out that album that you uh, yeah. recommended, and it was good. I listened yeah, to the whole yeah. thing. I forgot what it was called. Um, but I'm not gonna remember. Or Celeste is the gal's name. Okay. Yeah. What am I listening to these days? I don't know. I'm. I've been listening to a lot of Tegan and Sarah. Oh, are they still making new music? Oh yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. They've been in, at it for a while. Yeah. I listened to them so, a lot in college. I love them. I just adore them. So I've been listening to that a lot of that. I've been listening to a lot of bluegrass because I'm mm. like kind of learning that kind mm-hmm. of music uh the, the picking style is that what you're doing on the kind of i the mean the, the instrument that i have is you can play a lot of different things and it's not necessarily like the banjo so like saying that i'm learning the banjo was like kind of misleading but what was it called amanda banjo ukulele <laughs> yeah something like that. <laughs> it's a tender banjo mandalele yep no can't do it yep so it looks it's a really funny looking instrument and it was like popular in the 20s Mm. I think I'm I'm picturing something. It could be an invention of my own creation, or or it could be Probably something yeah. I saw once. Oh, maybe there are a lot of instruments out there. There are, but yeah, I mean, and I, I've just been listening. To, I mean, I've been going through my record collection, so I've been listening. You do to vinyl, them. I assume. Oh yeah, no, you have way. to. You have to. <laughs> they look like they are a lot to deal with, a lot of storage, but it's uh, the sound yeah. really is kind of nice. That warm kind of crackle. It makes me appreciate music way more uh-huh. than like just putting on Spotify. Like when I put on Spotify, I don't really think about what I'm listening to. But when I have to physically take a record out of a sleeve and put it on, and then I like know all the songs that are on that specific album. You're more involved. Totally more involved. It's yeah. it's way more of a practice than just like listening to music on Spotify or whatever. Yeah, that totally makes sense. A lot of people don't even listen to music, like actively listen to I it. Know. They just have it on. I anyway, yeah, that's I like a whole other thing. I know. Have I you don't ever like. Sorry to cut you off. No, um, I was just say like I've always. I mean, my family's very musical. My dad was in bands like my whole life growing up when I was a kid, and so like listening to music and understanding music has always been huge. So like it, the idea that people don't deeply like connect with the music that they're listening to is a really foreign concept to me. I. I feel like a lot of people don't listen to music the same way and to where like you feel it emotionally deeply and also at the same time kind of mathematically yeah the way that i listen to music when it it has my full attention and i'm trying to like really engage it's a powerful experience yeah and i think there are like really specific moments in my life where like a certain song or a certain album will just like resonate and then I will always connect that song or that album to that specific place and so that I mean that's why I think like Tegan I've been listening to Heartthrob the album by Tegan and Sarah like so much what, and it, when is that one made that one is a couple of years old I feel like it's maybe five years old or more so it's not old but it's also not like their newest album yeah. but it is so good that where you have an album or a band or a specific song that's uh, paired to a time in your life that makes it really hard to listen to stuff from like hard times because it just take you right back there 
I have like bands that I've that I try to bring back into the rotation because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, whatever happened to that guy or that band, and I put it on. And I'm just like, nope. Immediately, I'm sucked into a depression hole, yeah. and I'm just like, sorry, Modest Mouse, just never again. Can't do it. Can't do it. I don't. I, yeah, I feel like I. I don't know if I get there like I feel like I am able to like compartmentalize them a little bit and like I do feel those emotions but I still I like kind of want to feel them usually uh -huh. so I'm like not I'm not a depressive person I'm a super overly positive person and sometimes a lot of times I think that's like exhausting and so I think for me like finding the moments where it like kind of makes me sad and forces me to like just like lean into my sadness a little bit and uh -huh. lean into like being uncomfortable and not positive is actually really good for me because I don't do that and I like don't let myself do that and I'm always just like no it's great everything's great like so it's forcing you to acknowledge some of the darker parts of life yeah totally and especially I think music for me is really wrapped up in grief so like when I like I'm pretty bad at grieving I would say so usually it's something that like hits me quite a bit later and so like usually music is attached to that in some way oh yeah and so like i'll allow my like i won't grieve right away and then like months later i'll like hear a song and then i'll just like lose my shit for a day breaks. yeah and that's good yeah it's good that it comes out eventually yeah i i think everybody's got their own strategy for that all right maybe strategy is the wrong word yeah but their own technique right for how to let that happen I am terrible about grief. I'm very bad about other people's grief also. I, mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't, I never know how to feel or how to help them. I was talking about that with Hilton mm -hmm. on one of our episodes. Yeah, it's it's hard to know what to say, what to do when someone's in pain. I agree. Yeah, it's really hard to know what to do. And it's really hard to know what's helpful. And sometimes the things that are like maybe most painful are actually the most helpful being realistic yeah that kind of thing yeah like and i think i mean i've had quite a bit of loss like in my 30 almost 32 years so i think i've gotten like pretty good at kind of recognizing it and being okay with the fact that like it sucks and it hurts and all the things and then being able to know that you process that over time and it's always going to come back in different ways yeah. but yeah yeah this, the bad stuff never stops. It just kind of takes breaks. You got to be able to expect it and roll with it and still be happy. Yeah, totally. And and not even like still be happy, but just like still be like putting one foot in front of the other foot. You're still trying. Yeah. And like there, there are going to be times where you're not happy, but like you're still like moving forward. Yeah, that's one of the harder things to parent about, mm. dealing with the harder stuff in totally. life. How is, how's being a mom going? It's great. I was always someone who didn't really know if I like wanted to be a parent. Um, who and, has the time? Yeah. And I wanted to do a bunch of stuff. Exactly. And I love traveling and I love doing all those things. And so it was like, I don't want anything slowing me down. But it's like the most, it really is like one of the most rewarding things I think I've done. And I'm even saying that when I have a three-year-old, which I think is saying a lot because three-year-olds are terrible. They can be kind of pushy. Oh my god! You, I don't even have one yet, and you, I will next week. I know. Just wait, wait like a month, and you will text me and be like, oh, "Holy God!" Like they—they're just a whole nother beast. <laughs> two is no cakewalk. I look back at two, and I'm like, "That was 
the best year. Three, man? Oh, woof. It is a lot. I imagine so. I have heard some stories. Do you guys make it to the beach a lot? What do you do for fun? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has been interesting because, like... Oh, so hard to find something to do. So hard. And especially, like, having one without siblings. Like, Mm -hmm. and we've been really locked down with my parents being high risk, all of that. So, and they're her main caretakers outside of me and Jacob. So we go outside a lot. We go to the beach a lot. She loves to bake. She actually, like, has started playing music a little more. Like, she likes piano. She plays... See, she she has a drum set? She has a drum set. Cool. At her dad's house. And, yeah, loves it. And she's obsessed with Frozen. Who isn't? Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) I don't quite understand it, but she is a lot like me, I feel like, when I was that age, where she... Like, she can reenact the entire scenes. Entire scenes. Like, the other day, just out of nowhere, she started doing the, like, where Anna knocks on the door and goes, like, do you want to build a snowman? Mm -hmm. And she then sang the entire song and did all of the moves. Wow. I just, I was blown away. Yeah, I bet she's going to be smart. I mean, I'm sure she already is. smart. Yeah. Yeah. I try to not, I try to be, like, subjective about it, but she's smart yeah you don't want to give her a big head mm, she's already got him her head physically actually is very large it's the well, 99th percentile joke. yeah she's got 99th percentile head size and 0.7 percentile for height oh she's a lollipop and she's 55 percentile for weight so she's Perfect. like <laughs> top heavy so that's why it took her so long to walk uh-huh. she didn't walk till she was 18 months old yeah you know what i just went through this and i've already forgot what's normal uh, yeah. Ten months? Because nothing's normal. A year is normal. Like, think, if they're not uh, walking by a year, like, the pediatrician starts, like, blaming you for shit. My pediatrician was blaming me for all kinds of stuff. What What could you do about that? Nothing. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. Nothing. It was just, like, and it was so clear that, like... Sometimes you just got a lazy baby. Yeah, and her head was so big. Of <laughs> oh, course she, she can't stand up. <laughs> She couldn't walk around. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's just dragging it yeah, around. Yeah, totally. I mean, she couldn't even, she didn't crawl till she was a year old. Like, oh, yeah. she was so top heavy. She was such. talking before she could crawl. Hey, mom and dad, come pick me up. <laughs> much. Getting a little hungry over here. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey, you, my head's too heavy. Yeah, but no, being parents, great. I mean, have you ever noticed she looks just like the Madeline character? No. She does. Does she? Look at that. Yeah. I mean, she does have the haircut. Yeah. If, if you get that costume, she will look identical. She's got the hair color, too. She does. Um, also, I, the name Madeline is paired in my mind. It, I know that's Madeline, right? Yeah. You were very adamant that everyone called it Madeline in like maybe like first me. grade elementary yeah. school. So that's what I've always called it. And it, I can never remember if it was actually that or, or what. But <laughs> or someone just conditioned you to call it Yeah. That. It doesn't really matter either way. It's, it's the same name. Uh, yeah, she looks just like her. That's I, funny. Yeah, those well, my look, mom probably still has the Madeline costume that she made me me for Halloween one year. And so. if she's not, she'll probably bust out a new one. Yeah, my mom doesn't throw anything away. Yeah, I bet she's got a closet full of costumes. Closets. Your parents still live in the same house you grew oh, up yeah. in. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Do you ever miss uh, being a North Ender? No, not at all. Me neither. Hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually go through this like internal struggle sometimes about like. Like, because I love where I grew up, and so I'll, like, so, like, when I, my parents, like, if I'm thinking about, like, my parents passing away and, like, getting rid of the house and all that, I'm, like, what 
would I want to like move back to that house? Would I want to have that house? Would I want to like live where? And I'm just like, I can't hate living north of Cranberry Road. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just too far. It's too far. It's a Cranberry Road is the line. Right? Yeah. I just I won't cross it again. Yeah. Too far. I don't think I will ever cross that. Plus, that whole part of the peninsula is going to turn into soup yeah. if we get an earthquake or something. Why would you want to be there? I mean, I feel like we're pretty safe. I mean, so I'm going to be great in Chinook, but it's probably going to be better than Clipson. Yeah. Yeah. Clipson's cool, but I'll never go back. I'm glad I got out. And speaking of got out. <laughs> All lot... of like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know what? I, I thought about that a lot when I was younger, like escaping the beach, yeah. get, getting out of this damn town and all that stuff. It's a delusion. Like you get out of the town and you see some cool stuff and you realize like, oh, they're all de- they're all about the same towns. Mm-hmm. Like they all have their own problems. They all have their own benefits. You can pick whichever one you want and make it your home. Yeah. So there's really nothing wrong with coming back to the one that has already given me so much. Totally. It seems like there's starting to be a cultural shift back to rural life, mm-hmm. like the housing market is doing well, property values are up, people are leaving the major cities and coming out to the rural areas. And I think that an organization like Rethinking Rural could be really, really beneficial in in spreading that kind of message to young people. Do you guys do any kind of work in high schools? Not so much in high schools. Right now we're really focused on millennials. So Um, like our generation and the idea that- Get them out of the basement. Yeah. <laughs> Mom is tired of doing your laundry. But it, but definitely like engaging with the younger generation and high schoolers is something that is only is going to come with time because mm-hmm. that's where you're going to be recruiting people to stay and or to come back. And yeah, I mean, if you look at like national statistics, 100 percent, like moving back to rural, investing in rural, like the mass exodus from cities. And I think that's where like rethinking rural comes in is more like, let's make sure we're having a conversation about what makes our communities and rural special now, because it's going to change and it's already changing. And if we don't hold on to the things that like make this community special, we're going to lose it. No, what uh, exactly are you talking about? So like the community structure, I mean, in, I, I want to rephrase that. So I would say like, the things that you love and why you moved back to rural, I'm sure have to do with like the people and how you felt comfortable and safe and how you liked seeing people that you knew when you went to the grocery store and how you liked feeling like what you did in your in your community actually made a difference and actually made an impact. You weren't just swimming in this sea of making money, paying bills, traveling in traffic coming home um surrounded by people you don't know yeah and so i think like in terms of rural we're here for a reason and there's way more connection and purpose to us being here because the pool is so small and what we do every day really does like impact directly not only our livelihoods but our neighbors livelihoods and our kids livelihoods and and our kids friends and so i think like People who want to see direct impact are people who want to be in rural because they can do more. So it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. You're yeah. saying that like as a rural, especially as a rural, rural millennial, your proportional representation is bigger in a place with less people. 100%. And so what you do and the culture that you foster matters a lot more. Yeah. And you can wear many hats. I mean, when you're in an urban area, you're like 
ability to make impact is so much more kind of shoehorned into one specific area. When you're in a rural community, you can be your kid's coach. You can be on the school board. And you can then like work at the grocery store, but also you have your own business. Have to. You have to. I mean, we all have to do all these things in our town to make it function properly. It takes a village. It takes a village. And so it really is for people who are like interested in being those people. So, yeah, I think those are the things that we want. And, and I think humans are really great at killing the things they love. And I'm good at killing flowers. <laughs> exactly. And I think, like, the idea of there are people who are interested in r- moving to rural for the lifestyle and for the cheap housing and yada, yada. But then they're like, well, why don't I have a Target 10 minutes away? Why do, can't I, like, walk down the street and go to six different bars and it's like, well, because that's not what I mean. That's, that's not what not, you signed up. That's for. not what you signed up for. And so it's, and there's a reason why, like, not having those things kind of makes the place special. And that's what keeps the numbers down. Totally, totally. And so it's and really the and the rain. The rain helps a lot, and the risk of tsunami also helps. Get out of that inundation zone, Ma. <laughs> yeah, Mom and Dad, gotta move. So yeah, I think it's like really. It's something that's happening. It's already people are seeing it happen. It's only going to increase, especially with this whole remote work, remote learning thing. And we need to know, like the people who love these communities, us and the people who know these communities really well, are the people who need to be guiding what happens. Mm-hmm. And that shift is happening, and we if we don't guide it, it's still going to move. Exactly, and and that's not. I mean, in terms of like making rural communities more diverse, like I think that is wonderful and that's only going to bring more new ideas and more small business and more diversity and culture and all these things that that are often lacking in small communities and that's great i think where it starts to get dicey is that is that people want everything that they have in a urban environment yeah in the rural community i think that there's this um misconception that rural is only white people and specifically white men like over the age of 65 and if you're looking across the country that is not true and i think that especially i mean we get that idea like especially in the pacific northwest because we are very white in general so our rural communities are very white but it's not the cities so are the cities yeah but if you're like in rural alabama or rural mississippi like that's not necessarily the case yeah demographics change and it seems like a, a silly way to try to organize progress yeah like, it, i think we should organize our programs in ways that increase diversity inherently mm-hmm. organically like creating jobs and bringing more cultural influence from lots of different places mm-hmm. uh, so with the organization are the goals more general and cultural or are they more specific and quantifiable So I think when we started, they were more specific. We wanted to connect, directly connect and create a network of rural millennials that would be working together on projects across country. So like if you were a city council person in rural Maine and you wanted to do this waterworks project, like you could call your buddy in Owaco to talk about the project that they had done and then collaborate. So information sharing. Yeah, because a lot of times I think in rural communities we work in silos, especially if like you're a young person and you're not used to being on like in an elected position. Like you don't want to look stupid. Exactly. It's really hard to ask for help and it's really hard to like reach outside of your own community for resources. Mm-hmm. 
So that was like our original goal. And that really did come to be with our first symposium. And we did have these people working together and pulling on this network for resources. And How the, does the network connect? Um, email? Yeah, I'd say like a lot through email. We we like t- dabbled. It's funny, like everyone's like, oh yeah, people like millennials love social media and like connecting digitally. They don't. Yeah. And it's really hard to get them to connect so like digitally. And that's why like coming together in person, which we did, w- we joked that it was this like big giant therapy session for all these young people in rural. And there we cried. I mean, like people were crying and talking about how this was like the most special event that they had been to where they felt like they were really being seen for like the rural leader that they are. It's basically um, you made a grown up leadership camp. 100% for rural people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. And so we we wanted to keep recreating that in-person, like, joyful experience. And so we were going to do it in rural Alabama. And we had it mostly planned, and it was supposed to happen in November, and then obviously got canceled. And so we've really been trying to f- figure out what to do aside, outside of that. Because if we can't meet in person, like, the joy is kind of gone, and the, the connection is gone. And so that's why these videos... The perception of rural, especially like after the 2016 election, I think. Oh, that was not good for It rural. was not good. And even 2020 was not good. And I think especially coming out of the pandemic, we need to be telling our stories as rural communities and what actually the impacts of the pandemic have been on rural, especially on like young families without any child care, for example. So we're the ones who need to be the keepers of those stories. And if we're not telling them, they're not going to be told and they're not going to be the national understanding of what rural is. So that's kind of why we've shifted to more of a broad, like we want to tell rural stories in any way that makes sense and, and get them Instead out of there. letting someone else define you. Exactly. I guess define us. Yeah. 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 The Yeah. That's, that's a great mission. Yeah. So how do we help? How do people who are listening right now help your mission? I, you know, I get asked that a lot and I always kind of have a hard time telling people what, how to help because it is such a, it, it is such kind of a personal endeavor for me. Like I think liking us on Instagram, but feel cheesy it's say. so cheesy, <laughs> but, it's true. but I do think following along and engaging in rural stories and engaging in conversations around rural and the next generation of leadership, I think is like what especially older generations can do. I work a lot with people who have a really hard time, who like say all the time, like, we want young people on our board. But they better not change anything. Exactly. Or what do you mean we have to change our meeting time? Like, that doesn't make any sense. We've had the same meeting time for 30 years. So if you really want to make change in rural and you really want to like pass the baton to the next generation, you have to be willing to get give and willing be to be flexible and start inviting people onto your board that don't look like you and don't think the same way that you do. And like at the museum, we're just starting a student board members position. So we'll have a student on our board, which is pretty unheard of, like for cultural institutions, like Usually your board members are like all retired and like very well read, well read and respected members of the community. Mm-hmm. And bringing a youth member on board is going to give us like a whole new perspective. And it really is like passing the baton in like a really helpful way. So I think you've got to be like the thing you can do to help rethinking rural if you're a rural person is just to start branching out of your own mindset of like, 
what leadership looks like and really like putting your hand out to young leaders in the community. Because I think especially like in communities like ours, there are so many of us, but we're not often given the leg up that we might need. The rural thing seems like a tricky thing to to deal with because it's like you said before, you don't we don't want to grow too fast or, you know, become different in a, in a way that's that's unpleasant for the people who already live here but how how do you know what future you want to go towards how do you how do you figure that out i don't know i mean i think that's just a i think that's like a daily conversation that people who are like leaders and who are actively thinking about what is best for their communities are thinking about and it changes like day to day and and I think it's hard the thing that I struggle with like when you say that is is it is a lot of times when I feel I don't mean like like when I say like we, like we don't want our communities to change actually we want our communities to change a lot like I think there are a lot of things we want to change about our community like we want better childcare we want better healthcare we want better schools we want more diversity we want more access to programs and uh, and support systems and all that kind of stuff so there's like there's actually a lot we want to change we just want to like keep that cultural identity and that's why I think like museums actually are really important and cultural centers are really important for rural communities and keeping that like cultural identity and that like looking back what we are and who built us because I do think you kind of get in this wobbly ground of like well yeah you don't want people that don't look like you because they're going to be bringing in other ideas that they're gonna change things. they're going to change things that's great that kind of change we want mm-hmm. growth we want it's the becoming something that we're not. Yeah, and then you look around and you don't recognize your home and mm-hmm. then it's too late. And then it's too late, yeah. And I think like thinking about like connections without doors and how like most rural, rural people really do have like a really deep connection with the outdoors and being outside and maintaining that like outdoor space and the natural beauty of the places that we live, I think. Is we have plenty of that. That's so much. And more all the time. Yeah. Have you seen the new Wildlife Refuge headquarters? I have not yet. I haven't been out there to visit yet, but Mm-mm. I've heard it's pretty cool. Is it? Yeah. There's lots of trails out there that were not there a few, just a few years ago. That's They've cool. really improved it. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool wild places that, mm-hmm. are, that are accessible around here, just not even far from a parking lot. Like you just... You know, you can drive there and get out and be in nature really easily. That's something you don't get everywhere. Totally. Yeah. But, like, if we build a bunch of Targets and Walmarts, like, we're not going to have that. Yeah. You seem to come back to this Target thing. What happened to Target? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I just, like, never – I'm not a big box shopper, really. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to love Target. I don't like Target because of all like the Target. red. It makes me feel mm. uncomfortable. I'm like a bull. You know, you get me in Target, I'm going to start breaking shit. Yeah. I just have never – I mean, I've shop- I'm not saying I haven't shopped at Target. I've shopped at Target. Oh, yeah, their prices are unbeatable. Yeah, I mean. The Walmart is also one that is like, I'll shop there because of those low prices, but I'm not going to touch anything because <laughs> it's gross in here. I can honestly say I've never stepped foot in a Walmart. Really? Mm-hmm. It's worth it's worth it just, you know, a walk through. Just look at the people. Yeah. You see, a, you see a lot of interesting people in Walmart. Well, and I feel like when I say, like, I've never stepped foot in a Walmart, it's like, because people have this vendetta against Walmart, which, like, I agree with to some extent. But it's also, like, if you want to go there, there are a lot of other companies that I probably support 
both directly and indirectly that are just as bad as Walmart. So like, yeah, whatever. Most of them have to turn a profit. You know, they yeah. They things to turn profit. It's business. It's business. And so, I mean, yeah, I don't, I feel like it's easy to pick Walmart as a place that I'm not going to go. Walmart is like the lightning rod for everyone's yeah. economic hate. Yeah. Or Amazon. And yeah. And I shop at Amazon all the time. Yeah. Amazon's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. So really, I mean, it's all capitalism. Yeah. And it's a system that may not be perfect, but it's better than seemingly everything else. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Although I think everything we do, we rely on other people. Well, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's no such thing as a self-made man. No, I don't believe that at all. The heater right yeah. there, if you need me to turn it off or up or down, whatever, okay. it's pointed right at you. So Just like you put me in the hot seat? Well, I did that because it's cold in here. <laughs> it, it's like trying to heat yourself on a really, really hot fire in really, really cold weather. Yeah. So like the zone of comfort is very small. Yeah, right. So it's like, like if you get too far back, you're going to be cold. But if you get too close, you're burning your eyebrows off. I feel good right now. Okay. Who are your biggest role models? So this is going to be so cheesy. But I think my mom and dad are like definitely my two major role models yeah they're just like amazing people and really raised me with a lot of freedom and a lot of like kindness and joy and that I could do absolutely anything that I wanted to do and they would be there every step of the way and do everything that they could to make it happen and they're still like that and I'm 32 so I, I just think that they're they're really like what I strive to be as a parent. And I think everyone who knows your parents would agree that yeah, they are awesome. I know. How did you end up not just going wild? They gave, they gave you a lot of freedom and you never seemed to abuse it. I think about that a lot, especially like did as a parent. you never want to? What? No. You just I, knew because probably they started early teaching you that you had to make the right choices right yeah like respect was really big and uh, like and for, your, for yourself for yourself and also like not necessarily yeah I, should i say respect or should i say like responsibility was really important yeah and like i was always i mean i had not that i had like chores but like i was expected to like do things and and if that meant I like wanted to start my own business to like watch other people's pets, which I did, they were like, sure, yeah, we'll help you go put signs up at Jack's to do that and drive you to people's houses. But like I was it was always like you have to be actively taking responsibility for things and always like trying to be better and do better and, and do stuff, whether mm-hmm. that's like fun stuff or important stuff. And so I like also, like, I, they probably would never admit this, but, like, guilt was, hu- like, huge. And powerful they, tool. Powerful tool. And so I never, like, the few times that I, like, disappointed my parents, it was, like. <sighs> because they had been so forgiving and cool. Yeah. So it's just, like, what have I done? Yeah, what did I do? Like, I really screwed the pooch on that what? one. I feel like it was start like, when I was in high school, like, when I was starting to kind of push the limits, like, a little bit, like, junior, senior year, like, had a boyfriend. So it was, like. You, ha- you did have that really racy bumper sticker. That said, <laughs> got poi, but then you turned it into got pot. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Yeah, I think they just, like, trusted me so much. So then when I did, like, break that trust. Also, what is poi? 
It's like a weird pulp from Hawaii. Were it's you like eating po- a lot of poi? No, somebody got it. My cousin got it for me for like my 16th birthday for because my 16th birthday party was like Hawaiian themed, and I like had to look it up what poi was, but I like put it on my car for some reason. Yeah, you left me uh, wide open. Wide for... open. So yeah, there was a red bumper sticker <laughs> with bold white print. Then you know, got poi like the got milk ads. Poi. Uh, perfect size to use the little uh, little brush that in the whiteout, mm-hmm. and I just added the cross I on the teeth. I was so mad. She drove around with it for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we were junior or senior in high school, somewhere in there. I was so mad. But I think, so like my parents were both like, especially my mom was pretty rowdy, like when she was a kid, and she left home when she was 16. Your mom thought that was funny, or your parents both actually. They thought it was hilarious. Um, I was afraid that they would be irate no they loved it i think everybody knew you weren't smoking pot yeah it's kind of like the whole mushroom thing i'm like if you really know me you know i'm not doing shrooms exactly yeah but they just like my mom like left home when she was 16 and or maybe 15 and like lived in a nudist colony in maine and stuff and like she had kind of a wild life so did my dad and so they my mom was actually always like could you like go break the rules a little more. Like, can you go live a little? Like, you're really staying in the box a lot of the time. So she was kind of always pushing me to, like, test the boundaries. But I think back, like, because I moved in with my high school boyfriend my freshman year of college. Like, I never lived in the dorms. Oh, I'm, I think I visited you guys there. Yeah, totally. And I think back to that, and I'm like, why didn't they not tell me that was a bad idea? Like, that. Bad idea for sure. Shout out Mike, friend of the show. Yep. <laughs> Like, what that? I would never, like, support Quincy in doing something like that. But then I think, and I'm like, actually, I would. Because what are you going to do? You're going to, like, cause this giant rift in your family by, like, saying no. But, like, they were just like, okay, that's a decision you're going to make. Well, then we'll support you in that decision. And you'll figure out whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, that did seem like a weird relationship at the time. But, you know, I thought... You saw his performance in Cheaper by the Dozen, and you were blown away, and, you know, it was the rest was history. Just got me. He was captivating. So good as the dad. Really hot to a girl in high school. <laughs> oh, drama in general, I, I think, is really just the ladies love a guy in drama. Uh, yeah. Oh. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Would you ever do a play as an adult? Oh, yeah. Do Have you ever? Uh, I did one... When I was in college still, like with Peninsula Players, I like was a biker chick in a short play. And then I performed with Dragolation in Astoria, like for Pride Month for, for their Pride Gala. As a as a woman mm-hmm. and not as a man, is that not cultural appropriation? No, not when you're doing it with like members of LGBTQ community and you are identifying as an ally. Oh. So so I performed with like Daylight or Marco Davis and he would put together groups of performers to do like different like the gala show and stuff. And so no, it's I think it can be for sure, but I think when you're doing it in a sense of like community and you're performing with LGBTQ people and you are like doing it as a sign of support and yeah as as tribute and as and I grew up with a lot of LGBTQ like family members and so it's always been like being an ally has been something that like I know what that is and that's like super important to me since I was born yeah really and it's probably an important archetype in 
their story. It is, totally. And so especially I feel like in terms of like my relationships with gay men, like straight women in, in gay men's lives often are like really important people. And Will and Grace would have you <laughs> believe would that. Agree. So it definitely is like a part of the story. And yeah, not to say that that can't be culturally appropriated, but and not in this case. I, I mean, I was just joking, but well, that is actually something I, I think about sometimes when totally. I'm hearing about girls getting shamed for wearing a headdress at a music festival things like that where it's just like yeah you don't really need that and if it is offending somebody then you probably shouldn't do it but i bet a lot of people didn't think it was offensive when they did it how do you know what's cultural appropriation and what is honoring a tradition or just trying to take something because that's how trends spread that's how fashion changes Mm -hmm. like you take a little from this a little from this a little from this and something new emerges but where uh how do you know what's what I don't know. I struggle with that a lot because I definitely think that we go overboard sometimes with the whole like cultural appropriation concept. I mean, it obviously exists. It's a thing. But there are times when I'm like, oh, like sometimes it's just fun to, to play. It is fun to play. And I think it's it's important to like play and experience other cultures and other things and and if we're not doing that like I think we're doing a disservice to like learning and growing so I guess it's probably important to do it in a way that doesn't belittle or make a joke out of the other culture or profit off of I think that for me is the big one like Mm -hmm. if somebody's profiting off of it then that's culturally appropriate what about Eminem (laughs) I'm I'm totally serious so he is acknowledged as one of the greatest greatest rappers and musicians of all time but he's white, and mm-hmm. he's in a very much a black man's game. Yeah. So that's most likely cultural appropriation, but he's good at it. Like, he's yeah. better than most everyone else. So I don't know. How I don't know. To, it's tricky. It is tricky. I wonder if he loses any sleep over that. Doubt it. Uh, yeah, I probably has a really expensive pillow to make up for it. So Yeah, probably that pillow cube. Speaking <laughs> of the pillow cube, Instagram... <laughs> I don't want the pillow cube. Uh, okay? I don't. That doesn't show up on my search page. Yeah, I get the pillow cube a lot. I get all kinds of specialty pillows. I think, I think it knows that I. Uh, your old man. Old I don't man? sleep well, so it's like, hey, maybe this pillow will help. Mm. And they usually don't, and they're always over forty dollars. I'm one of those people that like buys a pillow and then uses the pillow until it's like rotting into the ground, and I'm like, but. Don't you only have to buy one pillow your whole life? Are you a side sleeper, stomach sleeper? Uh, I'm a stomach sleeper. I was going to guess side. I'm kind of a mix. I feel like I'm more of a side sleeper now after I was pregnant because you can't sleep on your stomach. Oh, yeah. But I always used to be a stomach sleeper. Are you a good sleeper? Sometimes. Have you ever had insomnia? Like for a long period of time? Yeah. So especially like before Quincy was born, I went through like a long phase where I would always wake up at like two, one, two in the morning and be awake for like three to four hours. And then go back? And then go back to sleep. Oh, that's the worst. It's awful. Because then you're tired when you start your day. (laughs) Totally. And then I uh, had Quincy and I think I was so exhausted that it totally broke my sleep pattern. And then I never slept again. (laughs) No. Well, then after like I didn't sleep again for a while. But then I was so tired that when I would fall asleep, I just stay asleep. And I Mm -hmm. didn't have that like wake up at 1 a.m. thing. And so it started to kind of come back recently, actually, which but uh, like she's three three and a half. So for a while, a couple of years, it was like, oh, I am sleeping through the night for like the first time in years. Do you feel better during the day? Yes. What's totally. what is your like your minimum sleep that you need to feel good? I'd say 5 hours. That's a, not a lot. It's not a lot. That's like my minimum. The uh older I get, the less sleep I'm able to take. 
Mm. And that's the way it feels like I'm taking sleep Mm. because it's just hard. I I really have to schedule it in. (laughs) Like I have have you tried like taking anything for sleep? Oh, I've taken lots of stuff. Okay, yeah, I just, so I just for the first time bought a CBD gummies. Oh, they're great. Hell, I'll take those before everything. <laughs> yeah, I, like, haven't slept that well in since I was, like, probably a teenager. Like, man, I just felt so good after having, like, one CBD. Like, I just, like, f- slept so hard and, like, deeply. Yeah, it's, okay, so I really believed for years that CBD... Like I knew it existed mm-hmm. and I knew, you know, it's a, it's cannabinoid in the plant. And, but I, I genuinely thought that it was a, just like a ruse that mm. the, the weed I think they community, can be like, depending on the product, it's like not super regulated. So I'm talking before anything was legal. Oh, okay. When CBD was illegal, yeah. THC was illegal, all of it was illegal. And I was like, okay, so the medical market existed. Right. CBD was available, and but most of it was in like high CBD strains of flour. So like you'd still have to smoke the weed, still get stoned. Mm-hmm. There's still THC present, and hemp was illegal also. And this was before the 2018, you know, agricultural bill that made hemp farming legal in Washington. Right. And which just completely opened up the market. Really regretting not getting in the hemp game in 18. <laughs> I, I seriously considered it. That was that was something I was looking into. If I would have had money to buy a little piece of property in a place that could grow hemp yeah. that year, I would be growing hemp right now. Man, really but missed that ball. I know. There's, you know, there's got to keep keep your eyes on the prize. You know, you never know what's going to be the next big thing. Except sometimes you do, and it's Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I've been learning so much about from your podcast about Bitcoin because it's always like, I don't like that stuff. Like I don't. I don't like it in that I don't understand it and it just feels really foreign to me. And so I just like choose to not engage in it because yeah, it just you feels. you don't pursue it. Uh, but like listening to your podcast, I've been like, okay, I guess I kind of understand it now. Yeah, it's, it is confusing, especially if you're resistant to risk, which. I am. Who isn't? But yeah, I, I was just driven completely out of curiosity. I, I researched it for years as a broke person knowing I could buy nothing. Right. And just because I was curious and I and I it solves problems that I recognize with regular money and the the fact that our economy is good, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. It seems like people are hurting. People are struggling. Yet the stock market is grow, growing out of control. Normal people don't benefit from the stock market being. Yeah. Exactly, but that's the measure of economic progress that we're right, mostly going by. Right, which is why by. I think like our country and capitalism is all kind of whacked because it doesn't actually accurately reflect like exactly. how good people are doing. It, it seems inevitable that eventually that system is going to collapse because right. it's it's built on imaginary money that they can print as much of as they want to satisfy the the proletariat masses with these stimulus packages and the the wealthy are able to kind of operate on almost Different a separate level. system. They they end up paying very little taxes. Mm-hmm. And all I want to know is how do I get there? <laughs> and I think the answer you, is Bitcoin. Why don't you just want to burn all the whole system down? That's what I want to do. <laughs> I, I don't think that that... In, maybe, in my younger years, I would have agreed with you. And I do think that if the system happens to burn down yeah. while we're fixing it, yeah. so be it. And a phoenix will rise from the ashes. Right. But yeah. if we can keep the parts of it that work and trim out the parts that don't, which I think we can do by 
suffice it to say, I think our financial system is, is going to make a slow shift towards, towards digital and, mm. and people are going to be just fine. All right. So there's 21 million Bitcoins. Eventually, they're all going to be mined. And that is the number that will be in circulation forever. Because of that, the scarcity principle says that, you know, value will continue to rise, assuming that more people adopt. If the yeah. dollar crashes or for some reason becomes no longer the world's reserve currency, yeah. there's going to have to be something that replaces it. Mm-hmm. And I think most you know, of the United States leadership would fight pretty hard to make sure that another dominant country doesn't get in to take that spot. All right. They would definitely support. Is Bitcoin uh, only mined in the United States? No. Okay. It's worldwide. It's okay. a global system. And it's, it's, non, it's not centralized. So it's, right. it's spread across vast, vast networks. It seems like a pretty fair, equitable way to distribute value and to share mm. value and hold value. Yeah. So we'll see. But we don't have time. It's already past two hours, so I don't want to get into How have we Bitcoin. been here for two hours already? I know. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit about Bitcoin right now. I'm, I'm sorry I got off on that tangent. I didn't mean to. It just, it just happened. It just happens. I think but I brought it up, so you can blame it on me. We'll check the tapes. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway. So can I ask you a question now? Absolutely. So I've been, you've been talking like a little bit about, so obviously I'm like getting a divorce, in a divorce, divorced. And you've like talked about your relationship with Melissa and like jumping in and it being like really fast. And what was that like with two kids in the picture? Because you wanted kids. Yeah. I was born to be a dad. Totally. And I, now that I am one, it's fully confirmed. And I'm, I'm, I'm positive that that's just... One of the things that I was meant to do. And so, you know, right after college, I was ready to start working towards that goal. And, you know, it wasn't that easy to make it happen really (laughs) quickly. And, you know, I had some stumbles along the way. And, you know, part of those stumbles was a a marriage that didn't work out. And, yeah, I learned a lot about myself and about other people and about, you know, making choices based on what you really need. Side note. On your wedding day, your dad came up to me and goes, I just always thought you and Jeff were going to get married. <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering if I should bring that up. But my, <laughs> I think both my parents probably regularly throughout our childhood yeah. would check in with how, how that was going. I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to marry Madeline. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, I did profess my love to you in kindergarten on Valentine's Day. Got totally shut down. You hated me for years. Oh, I never hated you. I never hated you. I wasn't even um, embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. Like it was, I was, you know, four or five years old, and yeah, I, I was, you know, not even talking to girls. Actually, we might have talked. Actually, we yeah, probably we were did. Friends. We were buddies. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that. Just I, I don't remember what led up to it or or after, but the the actual moment was so like emotionally charged <laughs> that it's like burned into my memory forever everyone looking at me like what's he gonna say because we were in a circle and mrs johnson was like okay we're gonna go around the circle and you're gonna tell everyone what you love for valentine's day and everyone's like my cat my mom boring answers yeah and i was like i love jeff nesbitt <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm and flattered then... i'm still flattered <laughs> then that you was... could hear a pin drop in that kindergarten classroom <laughs> Were you joking? Were you trying to make? Were you trying to get no. a laugh, or you were just like being? Oh, upfront? I was sincere. Yeah. I mean, I was one of those kids that like was so sincere about like my Everything. emotions and like how I felt about people and things that I expressed. That like no, like if somebody's like, "What do you love?" I would like 
legit just be like, I'm going to tell you. That's probably why you're a crier. You feel stuff for real. Feel stuff real hard. Yeah. But anyway, back to your question. So failed first marriage, pretty short, didn't work out, but uh, I really wanted to be a dad. I really wanted to be a husband. I I wanted to do that whole family thing. So... The first marriage left me with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, fuck this. I'll just take a couple years, you know, travel the world as a, a coxman, you know, <laughs> get out and get me some strange, mm-hmm. which I had never done before. I, I'm not a guy who does that. You've really. always kind of been in relationships. Yeah, I'm a relationship yeah. guy. And, and I'm not, I'm just not real exciting. I, I just, <laughs> it was ambitious. Yeah. You know, I was, I was going to make a change and be this exciting, suave I was lifting weights Everyone all the time. Everyone wants to be a Casanova, but... I was going to get out there and rebound hard. Yeah. And I went to Hawaii with Jeff Hilton mm-hmm. and spent a week just, like, really, really working on my mental health. Like, meditating, working out. And I came back to the peninsula just, like, really feeling like my best self. Mm-hmm. I was in good shape. I was I was happy. And it was came out after a really, really dark period. Coincidentally, I had made these decisions to go out and improve my health and improve my social life and just kind of go out there and be a better person. And, you know, I, I was serious about the part about going out and trying to, you know, date more. And that was not really the biggest part. I really just wanted to get out there and exercise my full potential mm-hmm. of, of my who I could be as a, as a human. Yeah. You know, part of that meant getting some pussy. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> All charged up. Yeah. Feeling good about myself. Ready to go. Just got back and starting my journey. Very first time I go out to do anything, my friend Eddie asked me if I want to go out to the Lost Rue for dinner. I didn't realize there was other people there that he was meeting, but apparently it was a going away party for his friend, who I actually knew a little bit too. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out. And while we were there, I met his cousin, who I had always known about because me and Eddie have been friends forever. Mm-hmm. And I even lived with him for a summer. And never met Melissa. I had met her sister several times. Our paths had never crossed. And I had, it was just really weird that we grew up in the same community, knew a lot of the same people, never met. So I'm meeting this new person who I already knew quite a bit about. And we just immediately had a rapport where it was just easy. Like Mm I had never really had that with another human where it was just like, wow, I just kind of, you know, that that comfort level you get with people after spending years and years hanging out, yeah. like, especially if you've hung out in times when you didn't want to, like people who you've worked with a lot, who you right. you love, but sometimes you hate that level of closeness, mm-hmm. where it's just like, you don't feel any level of nerves. You're just like, this is just easy and comfortable. I know no matter what, this person is on my team. Yeah. I had that with Melissa immediately. Yeah. It felt like I had known her forever and after we met i i had like given her my business card and uh said i wanted to help with track because she was coaching Mm. track and surprisingly she actually texted me and said i could and so i was like hell yeah this is gonna be fun and started hanging out at track and i just wanted to be around her like it was not in the same way that i had been like nervously infatuated with women before totally where it's like i want to be around them to impress them or to like score points or to make progress towards getting what i want out of the relationship but with melissa it was like a no pressure thing it was just like the right place was by her 
And so I just hung out with her. And then she invited me to a concert. We went saw the holiday friends. And I think I was there that night. Oh, really? Yeah. I cool. kind of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember seeing anyone else. Because I remember <laughs> seeing you guys. And, remember, and I remember thinking like, oh, that's interesting. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was, neither of us were sure if it was a date. Because mm. we both went with separate pe- separately with other people. And, but I was excited about it. And I was just like. It was, yeah, I just, I was hoping it was a date. So I, right when we got there, I started feeling that nervous, like, oh, fuck, this is, I got the feeling, dang it, I thought I wasn't going to get it. And that easiness, like, went away for a minute. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is, this is a signal that I need to do something here, because yeah. this is actually becoming something. So I, I offered to get her a beer, and we were standing in a group, and I only offered to get her a beer. <laughs> and I could see on it's her face sign. right away, she's like, oh, yep, this is a date. Were a thing, and then we kissed later that night, and the rest Aww, is history. That's so cute. I that was a long way to get to the answer to your question, but it was almost like it wasn't a decision that I had to make. I just right. knew, and I uh, that's not an answer that sounds very helpful to a lot of people because so many people don't know. But I never had cold feet for a second, and then when it comes to the kids, so me and Melissa had been not dating, dating. I don't know if we were boyfriend and girlfriend or what, but. We had been talking and romantically we had kissed. This was after the date, the first time at the concert. And she texted me, hey, you know I have kids, right? Or, you know I have two kids, right? And I, we had just not talked about it, but yeah. obviously I knew. I actually met the kids when they were really little. Mm. She wasn't there. I met them at Costco when I was shopping with Eddie. So she texted me and said, hey, you, you know I have kids, right? I was like, oh, well, fucking forget it. What I actually said was, just so you know, anytime I inv- invite you to do anything, that is an open invitation to your children, which it feels weird to call them her children now right. because they're also my children. Yeah, and so I think that scored some points with her because I, I, don't, I imagine that's a hard thing to date with kids. But yeah, totally. I was excited about it. I was a dad without kids. I needed, I needed some kids. I was driving a fucking minivan. <laughs> it's, it needed to be filled up. And yeah, and then so I was convinced that that was it. Like, you know, God brought them into my life. These are this is my family, and that was it for me. And then, you know, I got her pregnant. We have now Amelia too. So, and it's all complete. But that's a whole nother story. And it was a weird thing, but it really was never hard or scary for me. Yeah. Because it's just what I always wanted. But if I hadn't, if that wasn't the plan I had always had, I would have still gone through with it and and welcomed it, welcomed the challenge. Right. Right. But it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, it totally. It wouldn't have felt so perfect. Totally. Hmm. Interesting. So are you getting back out there? Yeah. I mean, I guess I've kind of fallen into something really similar to you and Melissa, which like part of the podcast for me has been like kind of hearing your guys' story. And I'm like, oh, my God, it sounds so familiar. Yeah, it's totally great. Person, not but what also I scary. Expect, yeah, not what I was ready for necessarily. Just like I was fully prepared and ready to be single and alone, like till I died. Yeah. So that's I that's what I was saying. My plan changed immediately. Yeah, r- totally. And I was, I mean, also like throw the pandemic into it. And so I was like, oh, well, of course I'm not gonna be dating anyone, anybody during a pandemic. Like I'm not seeing my friends. I'm not gonna like go on random dates with people. And then this person just kind of like fell in my lap and like totally out of the blue, totally not what I was expecting. And 
very much is very much like you in that like he doesn't have kids has always wanted kids so like has moved into the whole that whole scenario like really well and really easily and I also wasn't expecting that because I just assumed like I don't know maybe in like four years I'll meet someone and then they'll like Quincy will be older so like I don't know which might even be harder exactly totally so I don't know it's just been like totally weird and not at all like what I was ready necessarily ready or expecting so I think most of it's been me like ah like this is wasn't supposed to happen do you feel yourself resisting not really I think maybe a couple times like early on how long has it been uh like four months okay so it's pretty pretty long time yeah I mean but also like were you traveling together recently is that I remember you were going you went on a trip and you were posting pictures that we're not selfies. Yes, that is who I traveled with. Yeah. Where'd you guys go? Uh, we went to Bend. Oh, I love Bend. Yeah. So we went, he's got a trailer, and so we went and camped in Bend for like four days, and it was really, Sweet. well, actually we were in Lapine, but it was really nice. I like like rural remote, and uh-huh. I think Bend is like, is way more populated than oh, yeah, for sure. like I'm used to or want. It reminds me of Astoria. A bit. Or like Bellingham. Or yeah. Places like that. It's a little ritzy. Like, oh, I don't yeah, love it's a little, it the is a little nice. Yeah. I'm definitely more of kind of gritty. A little grime. A little grime. That's why I love to know. Have you perfect. ever seen that show? Oh, what is it called? Hometown? It's I feel on, like I've heard of it. It's on Home Improvement Network, I think, or HGTV. I don't have TV. Well, we don't either, but it's on the internet. We watch <laughs> it. The, it's a big guy with a beard and like a sh- like a this blonde, short-haired oh, I, wife. There's an ad that keeps popping up for that, but I've never actually seen You'd it. You'd probably love it. Sweet. It's a good show. But it, it's in Mississippi, in oh. like, I think, or Alabama. It's in the South. Cheap and, houses. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the thing is you, you look at the prices and it's like Sally and John are... are a plumber and oh, actually plumbers a bad example. They get paid great. <laughs> is you know, uh, fuck. I don't want to insult anybody. A school teacher. These two people don't get paid well, <laughs> and they're gonna buy a, a house for three quarters of a million dollars. Yeah, totally. Uh, I messed all that up, <laughs> but you know what I was. I get what at. you're saying. But yeah, this show is really funny because I mean it's not funny, but what it did to me is funny. It gave me a southern accent. <laughs> Um, I, I pick up accents super easily. Accents are fun. Yeah. I think in accents. I do too. It's hard, if, especially if you spend time alone. It gets really hard not to have a little bit of a twang if you're listening to Southern people or, you know, a little posh if you're Yeah. British. Like when I, I go to, I've been to Ireland a number of times. And when I'm there, I just like pick up little slangy things and my accent starts to change and I'm like and I'm like ah, I'm not trying to do it but it kind of feels good it kind of feels good but it in. also feels kind of like icky like I'm yeah. trying to like be something that I'm not manipulative or yeah something. like I'm yeah. trying to pretend I was talking to Alex Mack the other day and he was talking about how he'll automatically pick up accents when he's like ordering food oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, just start talking in a you know Thai accent sweet or, yeah <laughs> But yeah, it's like the same thing. Just humans. We're just trying to get our message across. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just trying to not be idiots most of the time. It's really hard. It's hard. What's next for your Rethinking Rural rural Organization? Yeah. I mean, basically we're making those videos and that will premiere at that conference. So on Rethinking Rural Instagram, we'll be doing a series of them with the comics. And so if you look at Instagram, the longer versions will probably be on Facebook and then we'll probably like have a YouTube channel or something that's connected to our website. So what kind of equipment are you using for shooting your little films? 
Yeah. So I went to journalism school and did, was a photojournalism major, basically. So And then I also was a movie cinema studies minor. So like I have a lot of experience with filmmaking and and using like really high tech equipment. And then I worked as a journalist with like really great cameras. And so, but this for me, I just wanted to be as simple as possible and not to get bogged down in equipment because I didn't want to, I just didn't really care about, I mean, I care about the quality, but I didn't overly care about the like movie video quality and audio quality. I wanted it to be a little rough. I wanted it to be like simple and basic. And then I'm uh, editing it in iMovie. Yeah, I mean, that stuff all works great. Yeah, it's not like movie theater quality, but like it's going to be shown on people's computer screens mm-hmm. and the audio's fine. I mean, it's not Yeah, this is a really fun hobby. And it seems like you don't really have a lot going on. If you ever get bored, start a <laughs> podcast. I would listen to that shit. Yeah, I mean like I don't I can't say I've like thought about podcasts, but I've thought about like multimedia stuff a lot. You want to make stuff. Yeah, totally. Share ideas. But then I get bo- kind of like with music like we were talking about, like I get bogged down cuz I was like in journalism school with like people who have actually gone on to win Oscars and like so like the competent like the idea that I was like creating the stuff with people who were like really amazing and then now I'm like, I'm never going to live up to like even stuff I was doing in college, really, because I don't have the time or really the desire to like reach that level. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, It kind of makes me just not want to do it at all. So that that's why this like video project for Rethinking Rural has been great because it's kind of forced me to like rip the bandaid off and be like, no, just shoot it with your phone. Just like. It doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to be perfect. You're a perfectionist. Totally. So like this is really forcing me to just be like, just no one's going to. Like, yeah, someone will probably notice that that cut in the video is not like a clean cut. But whatever. And, and it's who and then cares? they go on with their life and they don't care. Exactly. They're not going to yell at you like your journalism professor did. <laughs> like, it'll yeah. be fine. I think about that, too, because we are so hard on ourselves, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to artistic endeavors. Mm-hmm. Like, everything has to be perfect. And you, you picture people you know, consuming whatever it is you made and and them having a negative reaction. And that feels so bad. But when you are the consumer of art... and You don't care? Not at all. (laughs) It's like, I I will say horrible things about artistic creations of people I fucking love. Yeah, right. Like artists who, um, you know, are forever to me just like untouchable. And they can make a song and be like, oh, that sucked. Yeah. And like, I would never say that to their face because the thought of hurting that person is, is terrible. <laughs> but that's what we do as, as consumers. Like, yeah. you judge the things. Like, you, that's our job. Totally. You know, the market will speak. Yeah. But yeah, as if, when you're on the other side of it, it's, ooh, that stings. Totally. Well, I, I think as a creator, like, I'm always like, but there's so much out there. Do I really need to put more into the world? Like, need to? No. Yeah. But if you want to, you should. You should. And I think that's like the place where I'm at now. But it's still hard for me because I'm like, well, I don't know. I could do other things. I could spend my time doing embroidery. Yeah. Get that needlepoint going. <laughs> that needlepoint going. Yeah. that's. I, I went through that with the podcast. It's yeah. like I have a thousand ideas of things I want to do, mm-hmm. ways I want to invest my time and energy. And, you know, most of them, I, they come up and I think about them for however long, an hour or a day or whatever. And then I, you know, go on with my regular life. But Mm -hmm. this one actually just seemed very doable. Like Mm -hmm. I could get that stuff. I could come up with things to talk about. I could get the guests. I'll just do it. 
I think it's like so great from like a small community perspective too, because it's like, and I've been trying to think like when I'm listening to the podcast, I'm like, would uh, like would people who don't know these people get as much enjoyment out of it as I am, like ha- having known these people and like grown up with them, and and I think they would, and I also think like it's so it, it's like this super unique tool in a way like this community it's like the community talk show it's like who's on the community talk show today that's how it's starting to feel it's fun it's totally fun and like i get really excited when like i see you post you're like oh blah blah blah's podcast dropping on saturday i'm like oh no way that's sweet can't wait for that one Mm -hmm. it's just like it's totally unique because you don't get those conversations and you don't get to talk with people for this length of time and yeah yeah it's it's not what i pictured at all so i had this as like my little secret project that yeah. it was just like, I'm going to keep it to, it to myself and I'm not going to, I like the idea of the locals finding it was scary, scary. To me because I, I didn't want it to clash with their idea of who I am to them mm-hmm. and which I'm sure it has. But that's kind of what's so great about it in a lot of way. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I'm like, oh man, I, the thing I struggle with, like moving back to the place that I grew up is like a lot of people's understanding of you like hasn't changed from when they knew you when you were 16 and now you're 32 and you're a mom and you're Their like, mind's made up already. Yeah. And so like, this is so great because my mind is made up about other people too. And like, like Jeff Hilton, for example, I haven't talked to Jeff more than maybe like a handful of times since we graduated high school and like being and what I, my image of him and who he is, is exactly who he was when he was 18 and graduating high school. And so then to like hear what he's been through over the last few years and, and, and who he is now, like same with Colton, it was like really enlightening to me and, and grounding in a way like, oh, these people grew up too. Like, like, and we're all growing up and we're all like experiencing things. And I know their perception of me is probably very different than who I actually am today. That is like literally the, true goal of this show is is to kind of take the mask off of identity and figure mm-hmm. out like who are we really like it's and that's a scary thing to do it's scary for me every single time yeah. i was nervous for this like just an hour before you came i was like trying to meditate just to calm myself down yeah. because i i want the show to be good and totally. i don't if, if you're nervous it's really hard to make jokes it's really hard to take risks with content it's yeah. really hard to, to make a good entertaining show and i had no reason to be nervous because i know you already yeah like, i know i knew it was going to be fun but it's just like the idea of knowing that people are going to be listening is is scary mm, and yeah. it's it forces you to confront things about yourself that maybe you don't like so much totally if if, if it goes there and you know sometimes it does and it's it's been a really good learning experience for me to be able to just be really fully comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Well, and I think like it's so much more powerful that it is in a small community because we do all know each other. Like whether it's like closely or just like happenstance, like, oh, I kind of know that person. That's almost better. It is better. And being able to like dive into like identity and who people are and how people have grown where you know the people like I don't feel like this podcast would mean as much if it was like in Seattle like probably not it's like we all know each other to some degree and we can all like relate and get a better understanding and I know like the next time I see Jeff I'll be like hey man like really good to see you and like 
Normally, and after it would... he hears your episode, it'll be the same. Yeah, it's totally. Like people are connecting. Yeah. And it's great. Well, and I know, I mean, like, you and I and Matt and Hannah and stuff have connected so much more, like, because of the podcast. And, and I know you've, like, played matchmaker with two people uh, who've been on the podcast. Hey, I, I can't take any of that credit. <laughs> you know, things happen. It's a magical show. Oh, man, just... But that is pretty exciting. That's I'm, pretty I'm pretty happy. Cute. I told my parents about it today, and my mom thought it was amazing. <laughs> it, it kind of is. I just really like both those people. I do, too. And I, they both yeah. they both deserve somebody awesome. And now yeah, they both found one. I know. I, I'm very happy about it. It's pretty cool. All right, Madeline, I'll let you get out of here. <laughs> thanks right. again for coming. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to run it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time to run. You proved to me yeah. that rising to the top was my destiny. Yeah. And you can see whatever from behind me, but I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly. Let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. It could oh. all be worse. Clothes to make the man, but that poison's gonna kill you. Just now, say it with your chest now